Fantasy football is back, and you don't want your team to suck. My favorite fantasy football punishment I've ever heard is the last place guy had to spend 24 hours in a waffle house, and every <laughs> waffle he ate was one hour off of his count. I want numbers. How many did he end up eating? 12 waffles in 12 hours. <laughs> I'm Danny Heifetz. I'm Danny Kelly. And I'm Craig Horlbeck. We host the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. To avoid eating 12 waffles in a waffle house, follow the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game and they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, as well as The Ringer and TheRinger.com and The Ringer Podcast Network, where we put up a new rewatchables on Monday night. We did the 20th anniversary, which is coming up, of Hardball, me and Van Lathan, uh, breaking down G-Baby's tragic death for literally an hour. Then we talked about the movie for 10 minutes. Next week, we are doing a one for us on the rewatchable. So I'm just telling you now, because it's six days away, you have time to catch up. You know, Chris Ryan and I, we've done 200 of these pods at this point, like 203, something like that. Every once in a while, we got to do a one for us, right? That's what we call it. Proof of Life, the Miami Vice movie, Thief. Sometimes you got to do the one just for you. And it, it don't care about if there's a giant audience for it. But in this case, this is a really important one. We are doing the two-part Miami Vice episode from season one, Calderon's Return, which is the greatest two-part episode in the history of network television. An incredibly important episode. Um, an episode that I have rewatched, a two-part episode that I've rewatched probably more than any other TV show ever. Uh, it is a pop culture masterpiece. And I'm telling this now because your assignment, if you love the rewatchables, you can go and you can go get it uh, on season one. I think it's on Amazon because they have a thing with stars. You can find it. It's available. I think it's free. Watch the Miami Vice pilot, which is basically like a movie. And then just just fast forward an episode or two to Calderon's return. So that is about a three-hour commitment for you. If you love the rewatchables, you'll do it. And Chris and I are going to break down Calderon's return and explain why it is the greatest two-part episode in the history of network television. So that is coming up next Monday. You have six days to watch it. You can watch it over the Labor Day weekend. Um, coming up, we have a fantasy football 
preview extravaganza. Matthew Barry is here for the 100th straight year. Our Ringer Fantasy Football guys, Craig Horlbeck, Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz. We're going to talk about Daniel Jones and whether uh, the Giants should just give up on him. There's going to be a lot of Mac Jones talk on this podcast, I'm just telling you. Uh, and then my old friend Michael Malley is going to be on talking about heels, which is on stars. It is a very, very, very good show about wrestling. There's only been a couple episodes. You can catch up on that as well. But we're going to talk about just how a show like that even happens, the whole process, how improbable it is that that show even made the air and uh, improbable that it's good too. And we talk about that and a lot of Boston sports stuff too. So this is action packed. It's all coming up next. First, Pearl Jam. All right, for the 52nd straight NFL season, heading into uh, week one and everybody's fantasy draft, Matthew Barry is joining us from ESPN. I don't remember the first year we did this, but I think it was somewhere in like the early 1970s, late 1970s. Yeah, I think Steve Grogan was a hot topic on that first podcast. Right, remember yeah. all those rushing TDs he had in 76? <laughs> right. We're talking about exactly. that. Yeah. Steve Grogan, yeah. The, the, the Josh Allen prototype Although he was well, not accurate, unfortunately, no. for Patriot fans. Although, I mean, Josh Allen, was that was the argument against Josh Allen coming into the NFL, was he wasn't accurate. He wasn't accurate, and then he got Stephon Diggs last year, and suddenly he's a lot more accurate. It's weird. When you get good wide receivers, suddenly you become more accurate. Yeah, it's weird when there's wide open guys running around the field. You can suddenly yeah. find them more. Um, do you, so, you were, this is your 15th year at ESPN? Uh, yeah. 16th? Yeah, something like that. My first year, my first year was two thousand seven. So whatever that math is, yeah. It seems like this fantasy infrastructure that's in place now. It is now just impossible to find any sort of to unearth anything. Everybody knows everything. Everybody is so prepared. The there's multiple podcasts and calmness and dialogue and people yeah. talking forever. How do you even unearth, like I noticed in one of your uh, intro comms, I can't remember if it was the manifesto or love hate, you had all of these, you you went a little advanced metrics. Yeah. You're using some stuff about point totals, declining and quite, is that, is that the future of fantasy football advanced metrics? I think, I think, I think, yeah, I think it is somewhat, but I think, I think the biggest challenge with fantasy football, Bill, is to your point, it's. Back in the in the old school days, uh, it was a challenge to try to find information. Like I like, there's a book. There's um, you know, uh, Sal told me a great story for my book, cousin Sal, that he was running this league and they had to do their. This is old school, and so they were doing their scores by you know by box scores in the newspaper. Like yeah, that, internet. I had the same league. Yeah, handwritten yeah. scores. Right, and so he he somehow track down a New York uh, host sports writer's phone number at home to try to get the what the, what happened in the Monday Night Football game because the, it was a West Coast game and the yeah. paper had gone to print before the game. So and he's just like, you know, how the fuck did you get this number? You know, and right. so I was like, I can't tell you, but seriously, did, did Drew Pearson have six receptions or four? You know, like, and uh, so it used to be like that where you were just scrounging for information. And now the problem isn't getting information. It's sifting through it and what matters and what's BS, what isn't, what isn't, you know, what matters, what doesn't, um, because you've got a bunch of coach speak and 
Uh, it's covered 24-7, 365. Every single person seems to have a podcast, a Twitter feed, a column, you know, a YouTube show, you know, doing videos on TikTok, whatever it is. Like, there's a zillion pieces of places to get information. So it's trying to sift through what matters and what doesn't. Quarterbacks, receivers, running backs, we've seen a shift over the years, right? Initially, when we didn't know what we were doing, people would draft quarterbacks really high and you would draft them. So, you know, sometimes there'd be four quarterbacks the first round. Then that shifted. And then everybody's like running backs, running backs, running backs. And now it feels like wide receivers have more value than they used to. I want running backs early in the um, or early in the draft. There's no question about that. I actually have a, I have a friend that goes into a draft, even though he plays one quarterback, he drafts like seven quarterbacks. I have this friend that does that and just annoys his league. I did it once. I had, I did. Are you talking about me as your yeah, friend? Of course I'm talking about you. <laughs> I only did it, it once. I did the five. <laughs> I might do it this year because the league I got voted out of, Sal's making me go back into it. So I, <laughs> I might draft like 11 quarterbacks. I don't know. I, I, I might really try to blow it up. Um, there's nothing I enjoy more than your defiance about being in this league and, and, and doing everything possible that you can to get yourself kicked out of this league. And for years, they never would. Like you were less like, I don't want to be in this league. Kick me out. And they never, ever would. They would always And then they finally out. did. Yeah. Now, yeah. now I'm, now Sal's making me go back and I might, I might draft all the quarterbacks, <laughs> whatever the highest number is. I mean, there, there are an unusual amount of good quarterbacks this year where, you know, that, so, I think that's one of the strategies, right? People feeling like they might be able to lay low and get a couple of $3, $4 guys and get lucky. Right. Cause you guys play the salary cap league, but, um, what I would say here is, is that I actually think having a good quarterback now is, is, ha is now the new mediocre because there are so many good quarterbacks that I think it's important to have an elite quarterback mm. to, to get an edge at that position. Can you get by with just a guy? Of course you can, because there's a lot of guys, but like if everyone has a great quarterback, then you're not getting an advantage at the position. And so I think it's important not only to have a, an elite quarterback, but more importantly, with a few very, very specific uh, exceptions, you want a quarterback that runs. Eight of the top 10 fantasy quarterbacks last year had at least 200 yards rushing, okay? And that doesn't include Dak Prescott, who would have been there had he stayed healthy all year. It doesn't include Jalen Hurts, who had he started the full year, would have been there, right? So, and that doesn't include, like this year, I think Justin Fields and Trey Lance will both be there by the end of it. So, like, it's so important to get a quarterback that gets you points with your arms and your legs, these mobile quarterbacks, the, the you know, even Mahomes had, you know, couple hundred yards last year josh allen kyler murray lamar jackson justin herbert had five rushing touchdowns last year people won't realize that had like over 300 yards rushing russell wilson had over 500 yards rushing so it's just it's so important to get those three four five points extra points a week and if they get your rushing touchdown even better yeah i had kyler murray last year and it was funny he would have a shit game but would still end up with like 20 plus points because yeah. you know he re he rushed for 68 yards or whatever so it, it was always like his bad game wasn't a bad game whereas like my new lord and savior mac jones <laughs> if, <laughs> yeah he's not he's not going to be getting those rushing yards but what he will get you wins touchdowns super bowls but this is Let's talk about Mac. Let's just get it over with. Mac I was Jones. just going to say, I, I let's just get it over. Just do it for me. I was, with a, I was talking with a friend and I said, and they were, and I said, oh yeah, I'm doing Simmons pod today. And they were like, how, how soon before Mac Jones gets brought up? And I said, I'm putting the line at five minutes. Oh, I'm over six minutes, 40 seconds. <laughs> All right, there you go. The overhead. Um, yeah, let's still talk about Mac Jones. So here's, I, 
I think it's the right move for the Patriots. NFL-wise, I think it's the right move for the Patriots. Yes. I want. I really wanted, if you go back and look at any of the stuff I said pre-draft, I wanted him to fall to 17 where Washington was picking prior to them grabbing Fitzpatrick. I really liked him a lot. Um, so I think this is a really good move for the Patriots NFL-wise. I think it makes a lot of sense. It helps his dynasty value because he's going to start from week one. Yes. I think it helps Belichick and that coaching staff because an offense with Cam Newton is just a very different looking offense than one with Mac Jones. Like they, they're completely two different kinds of style of players. And so the, the packages you're inserting in for Cam are different than what you're doing with Mac. And so you can just sort of go, all right, you know, we're just, we're going to run the Brady offense basically, right? They're, uh, they're, they're somewhat similar players, at least, you know, no one's Brady, but you know what I mean? Um, in terms of style of play, he's more of a pure drop back passer. Uh, in terms of his fantasy value this year in redraft, though, to your point, he doesn't run. And it's so important to get a quarterback that does run. So I think he's a low-end QB, too. Like, he's in that, you know, 20 to 25 range among quarterbacks for me. Well, uh, how about this? Feel- Can I throw this at you? Playoffs. Yeah. Somehow they, they have a bye in week 14. But now the, the, the playoff situation, week 17, is now the, right. the finals. At Colts, week 15. Home yep. for the Bills, week 16. Feels a little shootouty, maybe? A little yep, 38 be. to 35. And then week 17, home for the Jaguars. That's a pretty good schedule. I, I could Nice guy to have see, on your team, maybe. Sure. I could certainly see Mac Jones being picked up and if he has success being used like against the Jaguars. Uh, you know, I think part of the problem, though, with your shootout idea, I think the Patriots defense can be really good this year. Yeah, you're I right. I think the Patriots defense can be really good this year. So it's hard. I mean, listen. So is the Bills' offense. So could easily get there, but and the Bills are going to be super, super pass heavy. I don't know. Uh, I thought what it did. I thought by making Mac Jones the starter. Here's my immediate reactions. Uh, first off, uh, it certainly improves the passing game as a whole. I have John Smith as a top twelve fantasy tight end. I prefer him to Hunter Henry. And if Hunter Henry Me misses too. time, and if Hunter Henry were to miss some time. Remember, Hunter Henry's never played all 16 games in his NFL career. He's missed time every single year he's been in the NFL. I'm aware. I thought of that when they gave him a lot of money, that he's (laughs) basically a part-time tight end. It was kind of a bummer. He's good when he's out there, though. But but they needed, I mean, you know, the cupboard was bare, so they needed to get somebody. So in the weeks in which Hunter Henry is out, if that happens this year, John Smith's going to be a top five, top six fantasy tight end. Like, he's super talented. Um, And so I like him a lot. I think if I have to pick a New England wide receiver, I'll take Jacoby Myers. I have him ranked just inside my top 50 at wide receivers. The problem with Jacoby Myers, like I think he's a nice player. Last year, he had, um, he had in every game in which he had, I think it was six games, in, in the six games in which he had seven or more targets, he averaged 17.2 fantasy points per game in PPR. It's really good numbers. Well, you know what else he had was the most sag shoulders after passes that either were bounced <laughs> to him or sailed over his head. So he led the league in yeah. that too. Yeah, a lot of this, a lot of like, a lot of a lot, lot of size, a lot of like, you know, <laughs> sadness, a lot of quick jogs off after third down. <laughs> yeah. Not being converted. So yeah, he led the league in a lot of those categories. But the uh, the challenge there is is that from week seven on, Jacoby Myers had a thirty percent target share. It, you know, just a massive volume, and I just because they didn't have anyone else. But I think adding you know guys like Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne and the tight ends and. I just don't see him getting that kind of target share. So I yeah. think he's a nice player uh, and certainly ups his value having uh, Mac Jones under center, but not somebody that I'm targeting. He's just more of a late round guy. I think the big winner here is Damian Harris. Oh, my guy. I already have him for 80 to one to win the rushing title. 
Not, not a terrible flyer, right? Not a terrible flyer at all. So consider this. Last year, the Patriots, number one in the NFL in rush percentage. I'm sorry, they were number one in the NFL in red zone rush percentage, number two in the NFL in rush percentage. Now, they had Cam Newton as a quarterback and had no one to throw to. So that skews all of that. Like, all they could do was run. But the fact is, is that I think this is going to be more of a running team than a passing team. Yeah, Wanting to take the pressure off of Mac Jones. It's one of the best offensive lines in football. And so Damian Harris, who had four games last year in which he got at least 15 touches. In those four games, he had 90 or more scrimmage yards in all four of those games. And then I just did like a video on my, uh, on my Twitter about this when the, when the news happened about them releasing Cam Newton. Mm. Uh, last year, last year, the Patriots had 53 rushes inside an opponent's 10-yard line. 53 goal-to-go rushes. Cam Newton took 28 of them. Damian Harris uh, took nine. He was second. Can you guess who had third, the third most? Probably like Rex Burkhead. Rex Burkhead with like eight. Yeah. And fourth most was Sony Michelle. He had Ugh. like four, which le- left four for James White and uh, 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 Gunner. Yeah. I- I'm not going right. to. I don't know how you pronounce Gunner's last name, but um, uh, so I apologize to Gunner there. Um, but uh, I-, I don't want to butcher it. But anyway, he got one. Um, Oshevsky, right? Is it? Yeah. Oshevsky. Well, your guy, Damian Harris, 22 to one to have the most regular season rushing touchdowns this season. Which is a great bet. Cause get this. So again, think about that list I just gave you, right? I mean, James Gunner had one red zone, one inside the 10. James White had three. Forget them. They had four, whatever. Cam Newton now a free agent. Rex Burkhead now in Houston. Uh, Sonny Michelle now a Ram. Like the only guy left is Damian Harris. And, you know, so this is a team that over the last five years has had the second most red, second highest red zone rush percentage. And if you break it down by year, they've always been top 15. They've always been in the upper half of the league. They like to run when they get in close. And my expectation is behind that offensive line that they're not going to, they're, they're not going to want a rookie quarterback to like, Hey, throw a fade. Hey, try to like, you know, throw into traffic in the middle of the field. I think they're going to run more often than not when they're in close, which is basically what they've done over the years with with Brady and McDaniels. And so Damian Harris absolutely has a legit chance to lead the league in rushing touchdowns. He could be LeGarrette Blunt. Like remember that year that Blunt had something like 18 rushing touchdowns? Yeah. He could be that guy. Now I ranked him at running back 25 because uh he doesn't so far at least they haven't used him in the passing game. They still have James White. Um so we'll see. I think Harris could actually be a pass catcher, but they haven't done it yet. And it's the Patriots. Right. I mean, like we, we sit here and say like, oh, Damon Harris, Damon Harris. And then we get there week one and all of a sudden J.J. Taylor gets 20 touches. Or Ramondre like, oh, Stevenson would be the right. one, especially around the end zone. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, right. There's always a chance that like, you know, they, it's the Patriots. You can never guess that. So I am at running back 25, but there's a very good chance I'm too low on him in terms of where he ends up finishing. I'm very high on Damian Harris with the news of Mac Jones becoming the starter and Cam Newton not vulturing touchdowns. Um, quick break. And then I have more fantasy stuff for you. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need. 
have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. As you know, a, a strategy that uh, in the Sal's League, our guy Paul Cohurst loves this strategy. If he basically just goes after an entire offense, he just goes all right. in. He's like, I'm going to get the Green Bay offense. I'm going to just get as many of these guys. And he'll even overpay if he has to. Tries to get the quarterback, two receivers, maybe even the running back. If you had to go all in on the, I'm just taking down this entire team's offense strategy, what team would you pick? Well, I mean, uh, let's let's move past the obvious ones are the Buccaneers or the Chiefs, right? I think I'd probably pick the Chiefs um, over the Buccaneers just because they've got so many guys. It'd be hard to, but um, some sleeper offenses that I think will return value really like Seattle this year. Mm. I think Seattle's offense is going to be really, really good. I'm really interested to see what Shane Waldron, their new offensive coordinator does, came over from the Rams. Can, we, uh, can with, people stop saying that Chris Carson is underrated and people are sleeping on Chris Carson? Nobody, I don't know one person who's like, does, is sleeping on Chris yeah. Carson. We all know Chris Carson's good. No, we do not all know that. I, by the way, I am yell at me because I am absolutely one of the people that keeps saying Chris Carson's underrated. I have Chris Carson at running back 13. And right now, that's where he should ES, be. He should be a top 15 running back. He's current on ESPN. He's currently going running back 19. Oh, he's people going are running stupid. Back He's going after Josh Jacobs and after Miles Sanders. Oh my God. After Josh think, Jacobs? Yes, I think it's insane. But I'm just telling you, so you and I both sit here and say like everyone knows that. Not everyone knows it because we've got yeah, millions that's of people fair. drafting on ESPN.com for free. I'll get a plug in there. And, yeah, but they're uh, idiots but, like my 13-year-old son who goes in and, and joins drafts and then and then never does anything with the league. No, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. But this is, these, are, these are all, the average draft results, the average draft positions are all from Active leagues. These are not our mock drafts. These are so our, Seattle. Are you're going drafted leagues. You're going Wilson, DK, Lockett, Chris Carson. Carson. Any tight yeah. end situation? For I think Gerald Everett's a real interesting sleeper. I okay. think Gerald Everett's a real interesting sleeper. Like him a lot. He was productive with the Rams. Then grab the kicker at that point when they didn't have Higby. What? Grab the kicker at that point. If I have all these other Seattle guys, I might as well yeah. grab the kicker. Just run in the slate. Might as well. And then you think about that, Gerald Everett. Where did he play last year? He played with the Rams. The offense coordinator, Shane Waldron, where was he? He was with the Rams. Like, um, feels like that's a pretty good sign. Alex Collins is an interesting backup running back. Everyone always wants to, you know, because Carson does miss time here and there. Mm. Uh, I actually think Alex Collins over Rashad Penny, which is sort of interesting. Rashad Penny's not good. Stafford, you in or out? I'm in. But Me again, too. like I'm at quarterback 12. He doesn't run. That's again, I mean, like when you start doing the numbers, your point about Kyler Murray is a great one, which is like, the rushing gives every quarterback a floor. Even when it's not working for Kyler, you'd be like, oh, well, I still got 17 points out of him because he got you 60 yards and a touchdown or something like on the ground. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I have Stafford as a top 12 guy. I think he's going to have a big year. He's just, the problem is he's a drop back passer. Well, what about the possibility that they just chuck the ball like fucking maniacs this year? I mean, oh, I, if it's Sony Michelle and Daryl Henderson as your running backs, I'm throwing yeah. the ball, and I on third and three, I'd actually trust Stafford more than Sony Michelle to get three yards. So I, I do feel like he could throw the ball, you know, like those weird Roethlisberger, those mid thirty, late thirties yeah. Roethlisberger seasons, where it's like, wow, he has fifty one hundred yards. What happened? He absolutely could. You know, the the only concern there is two things. They they have a they also have a very good defense. He's not going to need to throw the way he did in Detroit. Rams are going to be one of the best defenses in the NFL. 
And the other issue is, is that they have a, listen, they signed Deshaun Jackson. They, they drafted Tutu Atwell. They've got Van Jefferson in a second year, but it's really, it's Cooper Cup. It's Robert Woods. It's Tyler Higby. So it's kind of a, doesn't feel like they have a ton of depth. Of ex, they don't have a ton of experience depth at the wide receiver position. We'll see what Deshaun Jackson has left and if he can, if he can stay healthy, but it just feels like. <laughs> I'm guessing is, nothing. Right. But so I'm just, you know, like if something happens to Woods or Cup, what happens to that passing game? Could you say the same thing about the Chiefs? You know, what's weird is you could, in theory, except for the fact that, like, we've seen, we have seen that situation before. We've seen Tyreek Hill miss time or whatever, and still, whatever, Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle and, like, you know, these random guys show up and have big games. And so that's one, you know, like, you could, but, like, we've seen that and it hasn't affected the Chiefs. I will say it's interesting you bring up the Chiefs because I feel like the Rams could look at what the Chiefs did last year. The Chiefs couldn't run the ball last year. Clyde Edwards-Elaire had a tough year. Their offensive line got banged up throughout the year. Obviously, that was the issue in the Super Bowl. But they could not um, – they just said, yeah, screw it. We're just going to throw it. We don't need to run the ball. And it obviously worked. They got to the Super Bowl, right? I went on the uh, Ringer Fantasy Football Show, which is posting around the same time this is. with. Okay. I basically broke up with 12 guys. That was the gimmick where it's, it's called, it's not you, it's me. One of the guys I broke up with who I've never had was Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who went for $59 in my keeper league last year. And I just don't see it. Like at some point with the eye test, when you're watching football, like he just seemed too small to me. And it, to me, he just seems like a third down back and I just don't see it. And then people are like, no, no, he's hurt. No, no, it's going to, he's going to be better. But you know, when you compare somebody like him last year to Najee Harris this year, and Najee Harris seems like he's going to be a monster. I just yeah, don't I mean, think I, you can compare those two guys. No, I mean, there's certainly different running backs. And I have I have Harris higher. I have Harris as a top 10 running back. I'm at number 10, mm. actually. And uh, I have Hilaire. Let me see where I put, I don't have my rankings uh, memorized. I have Hilaire at 15. So I have him slightly lower. I'm a mid-tier RB2. Here's the thing about him. Here's a guy that you know, still got a decent amount of work, right? 66% of the Chiefs running back touches last year were for Elaire's uh, or Elaire. You know, he averaged 16 fantasy points per game in the eight games in which he got 15 touches. So when he got touches, that's not actually, bad. Well, the problem for him was twofold. Number one is he got unlucky with the touchdowns. And you can say unlucky. I mean, also just he did, he got in close and he couldn't convert. To your point, he's a smaller guy. Um, the other problem is, and, and they also, Kansas City will like, all of a sudden, like, you know, Travis Kelsey is in the backfield and they do the shovel pass and they do Tyree kill on a sweep. They get really creative, you know, and uh, around the around the goal line, uh, Andy Reid does. So that's another challenge for him. But the other piece of it is, is that I think he came in with such hype. He was actually fine last year. He, he you know, he was running back 20 in points per game. He was, he was a top 20 running back. And that was with, you know, getting very unlucky with the touchdowns. The problem is, is that everyone came in with a hype of having him like as a, Item is a top seven guy. Last right, it's year. like Alvin Kamara, basically. Right. Yeah, that's what we thought he was going to be, and so he's a really interesting guy this year because he could just sort of be that. He could just be like a you know more of a like you know a more of a pass catching back, more of a complimentary back than a true workhorse. Uh, on the other hand, like it's the first Andy Reid running back that hasn't been fantasy relevant, like hasn't been a top twelve guy in a long time. I mean, Andy Andy Reid made Coral Buckhalter a thing at one point. He made, you know, um, uh, oh God, why am I, Sharkandrick West. He made, he made Sharkandrick West a thing for a while. I love like, the I mean, Sharkandrick West era. Yeah, exactly. Everyone does. I know you, 
you're wearing your jersey right now. I, look, I just, you know, so I'm at 15, um, which is a little bit of a hedge, candidly. But oh, you I like, like Harris be- more because that's where I am as well. Um, what? You, you like Harris more, and I think we I both do. like Harris I, more. I like Harris quite a bit. That's a, Despite his no he's offensive gonna, he's line. Gonna, he, what's, what are the odds on Harris leading the NFL in carries? Oh, leading on carries. I don't have that, but I do have... Um, I do have the, um, yeah, the rushing awards. Hold on. I think it was around 20 to one. It was around the same as what Damien Harris was. I would, I would, that is a bet I would smash in a heartbeat because they're going to run him like crazy. They want to run the ball. They want to take pressure off of Ben. I know people are concerned about the offensive line in Pittsburgh, but think about Saquon Barkley. 28 to one. That is a great, I would love, love, I would love that bet. Um, I don't think I can legally gamble in, on sports yet in Connecticut. It's coming soon. Um, <laughs> you can't do anything in Connecticut. Can you even I drive after first. midnight in Connecticut? No, it's the it's the freaking worst, <laughs> Bill. It's so awful. It's so, it's you know, uh, listen, you've accomplished a lot in your career. And there are definitely things that I am, you know, I'm your friend and I'm always happy for you. But there's definitely things in your career that I've been jealous of. But I don't think I've ever been more jealous of you than when you convinced ESPN to let you go out to LA and just live in LA. <laughs> yeah. I've been stuck here. I don't yeah. think I've ever been jealous. Can I give you a couple props? These are FanDuel props. Yeah, uh, Nick, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt to combine for 2,500 plus rushing yards. That's plus 320. That seems like a lot. Yeah, because I feel like, I, I don't know that Kareem Hunt gets, I mean, my point is, is that, I mean, like, do you get sixteen hundred out of like I'm just trying to think. That's I don't see it. That's a lot. So we're that we're out on that pop. I I have one for you though. This I like okay. this one a lot. It, it involves betting on Ben Roethlisberger, which makes me okay. nervous. But Roethlisberger four thousand plus passing yards. Najee Harris a thousand plus rushing yards. That's plus two fifty for both of those things to happen. I thought that was pretty tasty because uh, so, yeah. So it's a, so it's a little bit of a parlay. I think I would. I think I would do that. I I like that bet. I think I do too. What, what especially because I think listen, it's probably Ben's last year. I think he goes out with a bang um, and uh, wants to play every game. They have really good wide receivers as well. Um, so that's you know they're going to be throwing. And the other thing is, is I think people forget is like you sort of have to recalculate your brain because we've got seventeen regular seasons. Like four thousand, you know, four thousand yards in a sixteen-game season is different than four thousand yards over a seventeen-game right. season. Good point. So, so maybe that's good for the twenty-five hundred for the Browns. Yeah. So the twenty-five hundred is really like twenty-three fifty in a normal right. season. And so you think about like, I mean, again, like if you know, can can Nick Chubb get to sixteen hundred, sixteen fifty rushing? Yeah. So then you're like, can can Kareem Hunt to get to nine fifty or something like that? In terms of rushing, that yeah. One, now, it, now I like that. Great point with the seventeenth yeah. game, um, and yeah. that with Roethlisberger, same thing. I I love that bet. I thought this one was interesting, and this ties into your seventeen games. Ezekiel Elliott ten plus rushing TDs, that has to happen. Amari Cooper twelve hundred plus receiving yards, that also has to happen. And then Dak Prescott five thousand plus passing yards. All three of those things have to happen. Five to one. The thing that worries me about that one is Cooper. Can he get to 1,200? Um, and I think Dak will be fine. The only concern is, is that what happens if the Cowboys defense is actually good? They spent the whole offseason doing nothing but like 
their defense was so brutal. Like Dak was literally uh, passing like at 50, 50 times a game last yep. year, you know, in the four games. And so what happens is what happens to their defense is good or even, you know, even competent. And so I think the, the 10 rushing touchdowns for Ezekiel Elliott, like I would take that all day, every day. I don't even care what the odds are. He got so unlucky with touchdowns last year. You know, we got, we got a guy named Mike Clay who uh, does great work for us here at ESPN. And he always, he has a stat called uh, OTD, which basically judges op, you know, what, what their touchdown opportunity was. Yeah. And what basically who got lucky and who got unlucky, who should, who scored less touchdowns than they should have based on their opportunity who scored more touchdowns than they should have based on their opportunity, you know, and, and, uh, and, and he explains all the math in the column. I won't bore you guys with this, but in essence, even with after Dak went out, Zeke got really unlucky last year with the touchdown. So better offense with Zach offensive line is healthier. I would love, love, love the over on uh, 10 touchdowns for Zeke. Yeah. I don't like the Cooper part of that parlay. All right. I'm going to give you three parlays. I think CD lamb has a monster year. Yeah. I think Mike, people are forgetting about Michael Gallup, who in, in preseason, they've been lining him up all over the place. He's playing some of the slot. He's playing some outside. He's really expanded his route tree. I think Dak's going to spread it around. Like, you know, I mean, there's a very good chance that uh, CeeDee Lamb leads this team in receiving yards, not Amari Cooper, who, by the way, also has his own injury history. So that's the other problem with 1,200 receiving yards for Cooper is he needs to stay healthy. I'm going to give you three parlays. You tell me which one you like the most. Okay. This one is seven to one. Stafford, 5,000 plus passing yards. Cooper Cup, 10 plus receiving TDs. So that's seven to one. Justin Herbert, 5,000 plus passing yards. Keenan Allen, 10 plus receiving TDs. That's plus 850. And then we'll go with uh, Mahomes, 50 passing TDs. Travis Kelsey, 1,500 plus receiving yards, plus 700. I like the Stafford one for what we taught, discussed earlier. I think the running game is going to be him throwing the ball. So unless the problem with these props and the reason I don't usually do them is the injury piece of it. And you have this quarterback who misses two games and that that's how you got screwed because somebody got hit in week 15 and you lose it. But the Stafford at seven to one, 5,000 yards and Cooper Cup, he's going to get 10 TDs of Stafford storm for that many yards. That was my favorite. What do you think? Uh, I like. I actually don't like that one as much as I like the Chargers one. I would take of those three. If I had to pick one of those three, give me the Chargers. So Herbert. I, so give me the give me the Herbert Keenan Allen. Herbert was five thousand plus for Herbert, ten plus receiving TDs for Keenan Allen, plus eight fifty. Yeah. So I like I like the odd I like the odds there. Um, I don't know that I I necessarily get. Uh, I don't know if Herbert necessarily gets the five thousand yards, but I would. I mean, that's a lot, right? But well, I it's, would. It's two. It's two ninety a game. Yeah. So it's a, I mean, that's a lot. That means you've got, you know, 290 game means you don't have a, you know, you have very little room for error. You don't have any clunkers in there. Um, so True. I would probably take, I would probably take the under on 5,000 yards for both Stafford and Herbert. But uh, if you're telling me, take one of these parlays, which one of those three do you like? You, we, we were talking about sneaky offenses for your buddy to go in on. I think the Chargers are also, with Joe Lombardi coming over from New Orleans, I think the Chargers are another sneaky offense that I think takes a big step this year, like Herbert, like Keenan Allen quite a bit. I think Mike Williams is, has a has a big year. Austin Eckler, I, I'm insanely high on Austin Eckler. Well, you're drinking been, the Eckler Kool-Aid, okay. I am. I have him at running back six. I'm at number six overall, which some people will think will create, is crazy. Do you think he can play 16, 17 straight games? 
I do. Without got, disappearing for a month and a half? Yeah, listen, I think he got unlucky. It was a hamstring injury. You know, Stefania Bell, who I do the uh, I do the podcast with every day, her and Field Yates will give a shout out to the, the Fantasy Focus podcast. My guy, Field. Um, uh, yeah, and, and Field Yates. Yeah, exactly. Daniel Dopp. Listen to wherever you listen to the uh, to the Bill Simmons show. Be uh, Listen to uh, the Fantasy Focus. But here's what I would say is uh, here on Spotify. We're on Spotify. Yeah, you are. Uh, I can be a dual company man. That was great. Uh, what I would say is, is that um, Stefania does not think, Stefania classifies people a lot of times as either uh, injury prone or just unlucky. And Eckler's in the unlucky category. She's not concerned about the injury for him. A couple things about Eckler. So Austin Eckler, believe it or not, since the start of 2019, is first in fantasy points per touch. Like Whoa. no running back. First in fantasy points per touch. He averages 1.21 fantasy points per touch. Second place, is Alvin, second place is Alvin Kamara with 1.20. Third place is Chris McCaffrey with 1.17. So this is a guy that like when he gets touches is insanely effective. He had nine healthy games last year, Eckler did. And in those nine healthy games, he averaged 18.6 touches per game, which equals out of a 16-game season is 297 total touches. Almost 300 touches. Again, we're talking about just so you guys can compare from last year. Last year, Ezekiel Elliott had 296, fifth most touch in the NFL. Mm. So Austin Eckler last year, based on his usage, would have been top five in the NFL in terms of usage, fantasy points per touch. We talked about getting unlucky with touchdowns earlier. Austin Eckler scored three touchdowns last year. The year before, he scored 11, right? So he got really unlucky last year with his touchdowns. Still finishes a top 10 fantasy running back. And I just thought this was interesting. He... um Eckler was on uh, Adam Schefter's podcast the other day, and they asked about his role in jo- Joe Lombardi's offense. And he just said, you know how the Saints use Alan Kamara? He goes, I'm Kamara. He's like, Lombardi's using the exact same offense. I'm paraphrasing what Eckler said. Yeah. But in essence, basically what he said is like, I'm going to be Alvin Kamara in this okay. offense. Right? Well, he, I also, mean, like, he also and, passes and the I'm on a fun set. team theory. Yeah, he's he's in the he's going in the in the mid second round on ESPN. Eckler is again. I'm as a mid first rounder. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's a fun team to have. It's a West Coast team. Their games are going to be on later. If there's less of them. You can concentrate more. Before we go, Powder Blues. This is my favorite. Just prop. Najee Harris over seven and a half touchdowns. That's his over under for over. rushing touchdowns. Over. He needs over. eight touchdowns. How does he not would, get eight touchdowns? I would pound the over so hard on that. Who else over, is getting over, rushing over. touchdowns to that team? Yeah, no one. No one. I mean, that's the thing. Like, he's going to get all the work. They, the, the argument against him, I suppose, would be, um, uh, the argument against him, I suppose, would be is that they're going to throw when they get in close. But, I mean, like... Yeah, they'll go to, like, Claypool, the Friar Muth, the, uh, yeah, the sleeper rookie it, tight end that they have. Yeah, I mean, but... See, and no, your sleeper like, tight end group, Friar Muth? Uh, I'm penciled have, in. No, because they still have Eric Ebron there, and again, I think okay. that becomes a much more run-heavy team than people expect. You know, I, I like Friar Muth in um, in Dynasty. I like him in uh, in Dynasty leagues. He's Before, worth uh, worth a dollar at the end of uh, end of your draft because you're in, you're in a keeper league, right? Yeah, I like him. Uh, before yeah. we go, make the case for the Washington Professional Football Team to win the NFC East plus one forty-five. By the way, that is a team that I uh, that I also think is going to be a sneaky good offense. Here's the here's the uh, here's the case for the Washington Football Team. They won the NFC East last year. Now they did yeah. it on seven games, but here were the quarterbacks. Here were the quarterbacks last year. Uh, current Pittsburgh Steelers backup Dwayne Haskins, 
current Washington backup, Kyle Allen, uh, current ESPN analyst, Alex Smith. Those were the three quarterbacks that started regular season games for Washington last year. And they went seven and nine. Now they've got Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, and I say this with no disrespect, I say this uh, lovingly, he's a professional quarterback. He's a professional NFL quarterback. Like, is he Aaron Rodgers? Is he Russell Wilson? You know, a guy that's going to carry you on your, on your shoulders? Is he Mahomes? Of course not. But he's a professional NFL quarterback at this stage in his career. Can he keep the chains moving? Yes. Yes, exactly. And by the way, with the defense that they have in Washington, that's literally all he needs to do is just be a competent professional quarterback. They upgraded the offense. I think the offensive line will be a little bit better this year. I love Logan Thomas and Terry McLaurin. They added Curtis Samuel, second year of Antonio Gibson, who last year was just finding his way. I to love. The field. Yes. Thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Love Gibson. Diane Brown, uh, a third round rookie out of North Carolina, all sorts of speed. They've got unbelievable speed on this team. Uh, Bill. And so you've got a quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick who isn't scared to chuck it deep, isn't scared to throw into traffic. He's got a kind of a YOLO mentality. And I mean, like all the 30, the 40 times of those guys, of Diami Brown, of Logan, Logan Thomas, Logan Thomas, Another one. Four, a four, four, six, 40, and he's 250 pounds, like six, 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 five, six, six, something like that. So tons of speed. And I think their offense coordinator, Scott Turner, does a really good job in terms of creating mismatches. One of the reasons I think they got Curtis Samuel is because of his versatility along with Antonio Gibson. Wouldn't shock me to see both guys in the backfield. They're going to do a lot of creative things on offense. And again, that's a top three defense. So it's a top three defense. And I like that offense for fantasy because I think they're going to be in good field position thanks to the defense. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think... Easy schedule. Decently easy schedule. Well, they get to play the NFC really, East. They get six games against the other three NFC right. East teams. That's great. We have no idea what we have no idea what Dallas's defense is going to be. The Eagles look like a hot mess right now, and the Giants are rebuilding. So it's yeah. like, you know, it feels again. They won the division with seven. Can can they get to nine, ten wins this year? I think fairly easily. I well, think the question is, offense. yeah, did yeah. their quarterbacks cost them three wins last year? I would say the answer is yes. I mean, I mean, just I mean, they were awful. Like, I mean, they just they, it was like dink and dunk, and they just had to sort of run and you know so i'm with you i yeah. i don't understand why they're not the favorite in that division you mentioned logan thomas it's just an aside but there was a stretch there with tight ends where it's like i need to get kelsey or george kittle and if i don't i'm just gonna wait till the end of the draft basically or the end of the auction right I'll just grab some one dollar guys and i'm good with tj hawkinson who cares now i feel like that middle class tight end is back because you look at it's like kelsey waller kittle right yeah now you have the kyle pitts could he be good right away piece? And if he is good right away, that could be somebody, especially with Arthur Smith, he could be like, I don't know, could he get to 800 yards and ATDs? Maybe. Then you have Hawkinson, Andrews, you mentioned Logan Thomas, um, people like Higby on the Rams, Fant, yep. Jacecki, Tanyan, Johnny Smith on my Patriots, Evan Ingram, Irv Smith got hurt. But uh, you mentioned Gerald Everett. It's deep again. It feels like, you know, you might, you might be able to get somebody like Hawkinson for a couple bucks and he could actually be 80% as good as the best tight ends. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd be surprised if Hawkinson went for a couple bucks. I'm his tight end four though. I think that passing offense goes through him. I think Hawkinson's kind of a monster year. Oh, great. Year. I think, Should I? Yeah. I my So my tight end rankings, just so you know, are uh, Kelsey, obviously, then Waller, then Kittle, Hawkinson at four, 
Andrews at five, Logan Thomas at six, Kyle Pitts at seven. You're asking a lot of, even though Kyle Pitts is insanely talented as a tight end, you're asking a lot of him to, um, uh, you know, to be up in that range as a rookie tight end. And who knows what that offense is. Not a lot of history with that. Yeah, the rookie tight ends, it's usually like it takes a year and then all of a sudden they go off. Yeah, I mean, like the last time we had a rookie tight end in the top 10 at fantasy was Evan Ingram. And that was the year that everyone else on the Giants got hurt and just got massive volume. Now, we've also never had a tight end like Kyle Pitts being drafted in the top five overall in the NFL. Like he, and you also have a lot of target share available with Julio Jones now in Tennessee. So like if anyone can do it, it's Kyle Pitt, like but just, um, I think I am, I think most people in the fantasy industry have Kyle Pitts higher than I do. I just think, I know that Logan Tom is going to have, I, I believe I should say, I believe Logan Thomas is going to have a very, very big year. There's a reason why Washington resigned him to the kind of money they did. And yeah. then you think about Hawkinson and Andrews, Again, the passing offenses on those two teams are going to go through the tight ends. Similar yeah. to how it does with, similar to how Waller. I mean, Darren Waller got 145 targets last year for the Raiders because the passing offense on Las Vegas went through Darren Waller. And so, um, but I, but to your point, Bill, I've said this, I said this in the manifesto that I want to either be one of the first people in my league to get a, a tight end or one of the last. Because there is, you, I agree with you, there is now more of a middle class than there was Well, now before. you can still wait. Everybody gets their tight end. You can get the 10th best tight end, and that guy actually might be decent. Whereas before, it's like the 10th best tight end. That might be somebody who's just five and a half points a game, and you're just bummed out. You're right. Just, you're just you're like, at an actual disadvantage. Yeah. Um, it's like Kyle Rudolph. Like The five times a year that he catches the touchdown, you're happy. But otherwise, he's uh, he's not a guy. Yeah. Um, all right. Plus. Plug some stuff for us. All right. Well, I've plugged all my ESPN stuff, but obviously check out the podcast here on Spotify, the, the Fantasy Focus, and uh, and the Fantasy Show on ESPN+. Plus. We're doing a bunch of preseason stuff, so check out the Fantasy Show with Matthew Berry on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, okay. I'm still doing the Fantasy Life app, and we were acquired this year by a company called Betsperts, which mm. is, you would like, Bill, you should check this out. It's a social network for betting. Betsperts is. Fantasy Life app is a social network for Fantasy, obviously, the alerts are second to none. Great advice. You can track people's picks on, on Betsperts. I would check both out. They're 100% free. Download the apps. If you hate them, you just delete them. But it's a 100% free app. Both of them are Betsperts and the Fantasy Life app. Uh, Rotopass. I'm back with Rotopass, of course. You know, my premium collection of fantasy sites that includes ESPN+. Plus. Uh, as always, the promo code 90210, nice. in honor of our shared history, the promo Great code job. 90210. Gets you 10% off at rotopass.com. It's like, it's uh, it's six premium fantasy football sites, including ESPN Plus, like Football Guys, RotoWire, RotoViz, really great stuff. Draft software, customized ranks, DFS tools if you need lineup optimizers, um, pretty much everything you could need, no matter what sort of, whether you play best ball or dynasty, Debbie, redraft, uh, you know, DFS, whatever kind of fantasy you play, it's all there. Uh, it's pretty cheap. Um, all right. So, and, yeah, that's it. You just did two minutes of plugs. Oh, I mean, what, is, yeah. what is this like an infomercial? I, I listen, I got five kids. I got five kids. <laughs> Jesus. I got college bill. Um, listen, we'll see you. We'll first of all, we'll see you on ESPN.com, but we'll also see you on this podcast around week eight or week nine when we do our midseason. Yeah. What the our fuck just happened thing. All right. Good to see you as always, Matthew Barry. Thank you, my friend. Good to see you. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. 
The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60 day money back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two S, simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. All right, the Ringer Fantasy guys are here. Craig Horlbeck, Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz. You can hear them four times a week this season with a lot of bells and wrinkles. A lot of, it's just all Marquez Calloway. Is that it? Just that what a sleeper he's going to be in CD Lamb. That's, those are the two. Craig, who's your, who's your, who's getting the most attention? Uh, well, that's, you just named Danny Kelly's dream right there as we just talk about Marquez Calloway and CD Lamb for 20 minutes every week. <laughs> Is it Marquez or Marquez? Because I've heard both. Uh, not sure. I'm going to look into that. All right, Danny, working on that. So you're, you're, you recommend $70 for those two guys, Danny, and then we're off <laughs> Yeah, $80. How you high do, do you go? Stars and scrubs. Yeah. Like just come over with those two guys. You're going to win your league. Uh, I think Jameis Winston just, man, the connection is going to be scintillating. It depends if you're in a league and I am in a league. I created this keeper league where pick sixes are worth minus four. I never understood yeah. why the pick six wasn't worth the actual inverse total of the QB touchdown. This is relevant to today's discussion. Heifetz, your guy, Daniel Jones, um, who I think is going to be our pick six leader this year. It, <laughs> it, it, it's either him or Jameis. They're in the finals. Um, we were all texting. We were trying to get Heifetz. We were basically trying to break Heifetz, right, Craig? Just like trying to ruin his day, ruin his week, just to admit that they had so many different options to fill that position. And now we're in year three of, of Daniel Jones. I feel like Heifetz is there mentally. He's there with the whole, yeah, yeah, no, he's terrible. I get it. But at the same time, deep down, you're hoping he succeeds. I still feel like the hope in your eyes. Where do you stand these days, Heifetz? <laughs> so first of all, before you crush the hope in my eyes, I want to be clear that you're just salt. The, the reason you wanted to crush me is because you were salty that just Dremski and I were texting from the Yankees game as the Red I didn't Sox like that. The I, did, I didn't like away. that at all. So that's, so, yeah. Let's be You're honest right. that you wanted to bring me here to just crush the Giants. So I did bring the Super Bowl 42 hat. Just, it's like a, like a potion. It's fair. It's fair. But I would have worn that. my Mac Jones jersey, but it hasn't shown up yet. But remember when you <laughs> on passed on Mac Jones, traded down, remember that? <laughs> and uh, you just let the Chicago Bears grab Justin Fields and then yeah. also uh, passed on Tua and Justin Herbert and then also passed on Josh Allen and Lamar. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I don't think about that every day. It's, oh, wow. I, yeah, it's, it's really great in the first three seconds of the day when you wake up and you don't remember anything about your life. And then you remember like, oh, yeah, right. Daniel Jones is my coordinator, my quarterback. Jason Garrett's my coordinator. And everything after that sucks. But before I remember that for the two seconds after I wake up are the best parts of my day. Yeah, but Heifetz, mm. I mean, listen, he's really progressed this year. He looks great in preseason. <laughs> oh, wait, he threw the worst pick so I've ever seen two days ago. <laughs> First of all, I can tell that Craig produces Bill a lot because you just did the Bill like, oh, wait, no. Yeah, but, no, no. <laughs> I got that from Craig. Um, <laughs> no, it was great. We got to play the Giants on Sunday. Daniel Jones brought the Giants downfield and then threw the ball right to one of our defensive so, backs uh, in the end zone. And it was wonderful. I loved it, it so much. Well, it felt like Charlie Brown with the football, right? Because Daniel Jones looked good on that drive and then he throws the red zone pick because they're trying to do the Travis Kelsey play where Mahomes yeah. rolls out and throws it back in. And they're like, oh, 
Daniel Jones, not Travis Kelsey. And I just felt like an idiot because I, to tell you the truth, I don't actually know if I want Daniel Jones to succeed or not. Because on one hand, I'd rather mm. this team go four wins, fire Gettleman, replace Jones, clean house, rip off the bandaid, let's start anew. On the other hand, I would be lying if I didn't say I wanted the six-win Giants to win the NFC East last year and be like, oh, come on, we can take the Bucks in the first round. We almost beat them on Monday Night Football. Like, I'm a, we own Brady. I'm you forgot that part. The With the Giants, the we own Brady part. Oh, if we yeah. get Brady in a playoff game, we, we, we've we owned him his whole career. Dude, the Giants fans irrationally all thought that the Giants could take the Buccaneers and Brady in the wild card round. Danny Kelly. Um, yes. My theory on QBs, you usually know right away if the guy's has a chance to be either very good or great. I feel like you know right away. We just saw it with Mac. It was like Mac was just passing all of these invisible checkpoints. Mm -hmm. He looked awesome in the preseason games. The quotes from the teammates, the reporters, the, the diehard grizzled people like Tom Curran, who's just like, Mac's fucking good. <laughs> so you kind of know right away. And then there's the other ones where it's like the Josh Allen situation where there's clearly a ton of talent. Right. And it's like, well, he's got everything but this. And then he shows up one season and it's suddenly like, oh my God, Josh Allen's accurate. Like this is now happening. I feel like, you know, within two years with a QB and I'm oh, going to yeah. say 29 out of 38 times, every 30 times, that's going to be right. I'm going to know within two years. And with Daniel Jones, I just don't see it. I think he's too sloppy with the ball. I think he's, anytime there's chaos, it's like with the Mitch Trubisky thing. As soon as there's chaos, as soon as we're out of my plan play where I have a design rollout to the right and I'm going to hit my tight end for eight yards. Oh, wait, that's not there. What do I do? I just mm -hmm. don't think he has it. But you know more about football than just about anybody. I know. What do you think? Well, <clears throat> to start out with, with Jones, the worry I, does it worry you at all that, that Daniel Jones looked really good in the preseason as a rookie? Like, are you getting ahead of yourself on Mac Jones? <laughs> Oh, you just made my dog bark. <laughs> Jesus. Hey, Murph. Murph, he didn't mean that. He didn't like that. I think take. a Daniel Jones uh, errant pass just hit Bill's dog. <laughs> Wait, so so when when Daniel Jones looked good in the preseason, was it what were the reasons? Was it because he had time? Was he lights out? What was going on? How did it compare to the Mac Jones thing we just had? So I think the reason that I'm always a little bit leery, and I don't, I'm not actually, I'm just sort of trolling you on this. I actually did think Mac Jones looks outstanding and like all the traits that you see at Alabama, he's showing off like his pocket movement, his accuracy, his decision-making, all that stuff, it's showing up. So I think all that stuff is really good. However, I would say just preseason performances, you have to always pump your brakes a little bit because um, a lot of times, you know, they're, playing very vanilla defensive schemes. They're playing backups, all this stuff. I think that goes into it. That's probably why we saw Daniel Jones just light it up in yep. his rookie preseason. I mean, he had like an incredible rookie preseason. Everybody was doing victory <laughs> Heifetz laps. just shook his head sadly. Just, I just, I, I can't. <laughs> Do you remember this, Heifetz? Come on. <laughs> they blocked it out. I, I, okay, here's the thing with Daniel Jones. As Bill mentioned, like the deer in the headlights, that's what he is. I think that a quarterback needs to be like a basketball player, like LeBron. Like if LeBron's on the court and he closes his eyes, he knows where the other nine people are in the court are, right? A quarterback needs that. Drew Brees has that. Tom Brady has that. Daniel Jones doesn't have it. Like, with his yeah. eyes Jones open. Closed. He doesn't have it with his eyes open. Exactly. He doesn't, so, know what, he doesn't know where the pass rushers are coming from. There's like two places they could come from. Like, how does he lose track left, of the Left, right, center. But he's, <laughs> he's the second most fumbles to start a career on record. Yeah. Which is always a terrible indicator historically of whether somebody's going to be a QB or not. Craig, 
you don't have a dog in this race. You're a Steelers fan. The Patriots have been kicking your ass basically for your entire <laughs> life. So it's not like you have resentment with the Mac Jones thing. From a fantasy standpoint, what happens here with Mac Jones? Because obviously the Patriots are going to be a running team. I think with keeper leagues, he's probably a little more interesting. Um, but Mac Jones compared to Daniel. Well, actually, let's start with Daniel. Is Daniel a do not draft for you at this point? Is there one, any sort of $1 near the end of the draft for all the dice? He's got better receivers or is he out? Uh, sure. I guess if you're in a two-team <laughs> league and you're in an auction draft and you're at the very end and you want to throw a flyer at Daniel Jones, that's fine. I don't have any problem with that. But I mean, no, a two-QB league. Yeah, it was a two-QB league. league. Yeah, yeah, sure. But look, the amount of turnover, he's like Jameis Winston, like without the upside, really? Like at least Jameis threw for 5,000 <laughs> yards. Like Daniel Jones ain't going to do that. I'd rather have Mac Jones than him this year. And with Mac... Listen, we've been talking about this for like the past month. Danny Kelly would always be like, well, you know, I think if Mac Jones is the starter, I think it helps Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, both tight ends. <laughs> Tell me Harris, everyone. James All White. the running and I was backs. like, shouldn't just Mac Jones start then if he literally makes every player on the team better? Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm all in on Damian Harris now. I think Mac should probably be the second pick for rookie of the year behind Lawrence. Uh, the Patriots are just going to be better now. Yeah, Warren Sharp was saying, he was asking on Sunday's pod if Damian Harris was a good rushing TD's bet for just to lead the league in rushing. It was like 35 to one. And what's funny is my only reason why I don't think that's a good flyer is because of Ramondre Stevenson, who I think mm -hmm. looks so good, not just in, uh, in the exhibition games, but in training camp, they might have this two running back thing. Danny's nodding happily because you liked Ramondre in the draft, right? We were, yeah. Danny likes everybody. We were just talking. <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> Craig and I were literally just talking about this prior to, uh, prior to recording, but basically like, I can see the logic in Damian Harris being a really good fantasy pick because he's going to be on a good team with a good offensive line, good run game. I think Mac Jones is going to give them way more opportunities in the red zone because he's not going to be carrying the football. I think I saw that yeah. like uh, Cam Newton had 22 goal line carries or inside the five yard line carries last year. That's like terrible for fantasy. However, when you look at it, it was like last year it was Newton and then Burkhead and then Harris. So maybe Ramondre Stevenson is like the new Burkhead where he just comes in and ruins everyone's fantasy dream. Like, you know what I mean? It's just going to yeah. be a nightmare instead of just Well, you know, Belichick hates off. fantasy football. That's like, a, <laughs> he's hated it for his entire life. Is, yeah. Heifetz, is Saquon a stay away fantasy-wise as like a top 20 guy for you? Heifetz has been smartly emotionally hedging against Saquon for the past two months. Oh, yeah. he's I've been really afraid of Saquon for the entire offseason. The irony is now he's one of the Giants' more healthy players, which is just an <laughs> unbelievable turn for the New York Giants because now Kenny Galladay hasn't practiced like, you know, three and a half weeks, which, you know, love that for your great $18 million receiver. Evan, Evan Ingram's first, hurt now. Yeah. yeah, Evan Ingram's hurt now after flashing, which again, it's like, what year is this? Kadarius Tony, the first rounder, is just barely practicing like Saquon is one of the few guys who maybe will play for them in week one which is unbelievable but the whole the whole team is just so frustrating to be honest so it's a stay away so sometimes you have fantasy <laughs> you have teams that are just the entire teams to stay away you just don't want anyone on the team you're just better off like I'm you know the Bears were like this I never liked having Allen Robinson just because it was so frustrating to watch quarterbacks underthrow overthrow him just didn't want anyone from the team there's some teams like that this year for me like I, th I think I, I still like Evan Ingram, but I think I, I irrationally like him. I like him to, too. To me, the so, Texans are a complete, I don't want anyone on the team. A hundred percent. I'm out. I don't want to look at their box score. I don't want to care when they cut to a Texans game. I just want to be out of the Texans <laughs> business. But how many stay away teams are there for you guys? I think that's definitely one of them. I actually, this is 
probably zigging where a lot of people would really be excited about this, but I, like the Browns to me, I, when, I, when I was mm. looking at like the rankings and stuff, like I think Odell Beckham, he worries me just because he's coming off an ACL. He's had the struggles, you know, in this on this team and all that. He just hasn't lived up to what he was early in his career. Jarvis Landry, just I can't get excited about it. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, they just cannibalize each other's production. Like, I just don't like anybody. And then the, the tight end situation is just a nightmare. I don't know. I just don't really like any any of the Browns. And then obviously, are you getting excited about Baker Mayfield? I don't know. Craig, I rode the Chubb-Kareem combo bandwagon last year. Chubb for $43, Hunt for 10 mm-hmm. I kind of enjoyed it. There were weeks <laughs> when I started both of them. You're just like, there's probably 25 fantasy points available for the Browns running backs today. And I'm just going to have all the all the points. And I'm going to really yeah. enjoy it. Uh, I, I kind of, I disagree with Danny. I, I still think Nick Chubb, Eye test wise, when I'm just watching running backs, mm-hmm. I still feel like he's one of the four best. Where you just I, watch a guy and you're like, "Wow, I can't believe that guy doesn't rush for seven yards every time." But what what are your feelings on Chubb and uh, Kareem? Well, I think that's exact. I think Chubb probably is like a top four running back skill wise, but it sucks because it's not fun to hope that the other running back on the team gets hurt for your guy to be able to reach his potential, which is kind of <laughs> what you need. Like you're everyone is secretly hoping Kareem Hunt sprains his ankle or Nick Chubb sprains his ankle for the other one to work out. So I don't know. I'd rather probably grab a guy like Aaron Jones, who I kind of think. Oh, enough with you and Aaron Jones. Jesus, get a <laughs> fucking room. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Every year, and no one fucking listens. I think it's because his name is boring, but Aaron Jones is going to be better than Nick Chubb this year. Oh, because you're going to do the whole thing about, well, that third down back. Jamal Williams catch more is gone. Balls. Yeah. Yeah, but, that's what I am going to do. They have a great But don't they have another, isn't there a young guy in the whole Packers situation that's kind of looming now? Yeah, yeah AJ they have AJ Dillon. Dillon, who's like this big yeah. kind of, but like he doesn't catch passes. That's what Jamal Williams did last year. Aaron Jones is going to be like the guy catching all the passes. He's going to get all the red zone touches. He's a good pass protector. He's Aaron Rodgers' guy. They're not going to throw some in somebody in that Aaron Rodgers doesn't really trust. AJ Dillon is my irrational fantasy crush this year. Like for some reason, I just want him to get more carries and more touches than he's going to get for sure. Like I'm absolutely going to be really so disappointed. you're handcuffing him. You take Aaron Jones, you have to also get <laughs> yeah sure AJ Dillon. Yeah. Hi, Fitz. How much does it bug you that C.D. Lamb is the apple of everybody's fantasy eye this year and he's on the team you probably hate the most? Uh, it's fine because I just feel like the, this Cowboys hard knocks team is just destined to implode at some point. Honestly, I think Washington's actually going to win the NFC East. I'm not afraid. The Cowboys can I, have I, all I the preseason too. hype they want. I agree with I, you. I, th- I also have watched in the NFC East. That the hard knocks thing is really funny. Every year this happens where people watch the hard knocks and they had they had it last week or two weeks ago, the the CD montage. Yeah. And he's just Odelling every pass <laughs> and just dusting people. And it basically and then they have to cut to the FaceTime with Michael Irvin and Jerry Jones. And it's like, oh, CD Lamb. But the reality is we have no idea if Dak Prescott is gonna play four games in a row. You know, and I I don't know. I I'm I'm with you. I think Washington seems like the safer bet, which Leads to why isn't Antonio Gibson considered to be as good of a fantasy guy as Aaron Jones? It's only because of that little gnat, J.D. McKissick, who's sticking around. But we love Antonio Gibson because he's like, could be McCaffrey light, like with Ron Mm -hmm. Rivera and Scott Turner in Washington. I mean, the guy was a receiver in college at Memphis. Like, just make, let him catch passes. That's what he was literally doing in college before he went to the pros. If he can do that, I think Antonio Gibson's probably like the steal of the second and third round. What do we do with the Najee Harris thing where he's clearly incredibly talented? Everything I've read about him is like, this guy's the last first guy there, last guy to leave. He's an incredible athlete. Um, Oh my God, they hit the jackpot with them. And yet 
They don't have anyone to block for him, Kelly. What do we do? What do we do with this? <laughs> is he first, first 15, first 25? Like, where is he? I mean, I would take, honestly, I would take him in the first round. I, I think he is wow. that good. I think he, like, if you, you don't have to, but like, I got him ranked 12th right now. I'm, I'm willing to take him in the first round. I think he's going to have a, he's going to get 350 touches. We've looked at the way that the Steelers use their running back rotation uh, in the past. It's all, it's, he is the second coming, I think, um, of Le'Veon Bell in terms of his usage. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be as productive because their offense just won't be as good overall, but like, you're chasing that volume. I mean, if you look at some of Christian McCaffrey's huge years, it's not necessarily like they had an elite dominant offensive line or they had a really good team. It was just he was getting every touch and playing every snap in their offense, and he's really good. I think all the same things can apply to Najee Harris. So um, I'm kind of like all in on it, even though I, I would acknowledge like their offensive line is not going to be good. But like Saquon, oh, go Saquon's line sucks. Joe Mixon's line sucks. And like no very one seems few to good lines. I'm with DK on <laughs> Najee Harris. I love Najee Harris. I think if you could put fantasy football prop bets, I would bet that Najee Harris is a top five pick in next year's drafts. It's very simple. It's like you, we talk about three down backs, but in reality, what you actually want is a player who's playing about 85% of the team snaps. Because unless you're Alvin Kamara and you score a touchdown a game for your entire career, you need 85% of snaps to be like an elite first round fantasy running back. Najee Harris is the only guy really outside the top. 10 or 12 or so where you're like we know that's going to happen and he's going to get the ball and yet you can get him yeah. in some places on the in the third round which is crazy also like Pittsburgh guys just work out like usually when Pittsburgh bets on skill players they work all the receivers are always good I mean look at when Le'Veon Bell was hurt James Conner was like super relevant in fantasy D'Angelo Williams was like a top 10 back when he was the only guy in Pittsburgh so I think there's just a, such a good track record with Pittsburgh they're like the opposite of like the Jets or the Eagles you know in terms of like draft picks working out the it's an unbelievable track record unless they're playing Bill Belichick and then the track record <laughs> completely falls apart and the <laughs> Patriots win yet again. So are you in on Najee? I mean, you're a Steelers fan, Craig. This is, so you're all in. Yeah, I know that like Warren Sharp hates when people draft running backs in the first round, but I'm for it. I like it. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to use them because they did. It's fun to watch. Yeah. It does seem like at least teams have figured out now the sweet spot for running backs is 20, what? Danny Ugh. Kelly, 25 Late, to yeah. 55, somewhere in there. Late first round. I I think so saying first round court, like drafting a first round running back is like the stupidest thing. It, there's shades to it. That it. There's a gray area because a late first round pick is very different from like a top 10 pick. Sorry, if it's the, especially a top two pick. Like that's just straight <laughs> I, dumb, dumb. Like there's no argument against it. However, late first round, I think it, you can talk yourself into it, number one, because you get that extra year, that, that options year where... Mm. NFL teams, it's like, you know, it, it's not great to say, but like they're basically going to like run this guy into the ground and then move on after five years. And so they get that fifth season. They don't have to pay him a big, huge second contract, which is, I'd argue, worse than spending a first round pick on a running back is giving us a, a running back a big, huge second contract. Hi, Fitz. You shook your heads in disgust. Why? I will admit that, Bill, when you were texting me yesterday about Daniel Jones, you, you know, <laughs> Did my day a little bit because I started to think about <laughs> Gettleman and I was like, is he the last GM who'll ever use a top two pick on a running back? Like that will ultimately long term be his legacy. Like he'll be the last guy who used a top two pick on a back. And it reminded me that Dave Gettleman is just Lucille Bluth. He doesn't know what things cost. It's like, oh yeah, Kenny Galladay, eighteen million dollars, you know, a year. Banana. That's like that's like cost? when they $10. asked Tom Cruise how much he thought like gum cost, and he said like fifteen dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like oh, that's guy. Dave Gettleman. Oh, yeah, running back, great. Yeah, we'll take him second. It's an infuriating team. I kind of hope they fail. I have one of my great zags of the decade for you guys right now. I still think Barkley was the right pick. 
Bill, you're wrong. Why? And I can explain. I didn't, the quarterbacks were needle. bad in that draft. Sam Darnold. It's like, oh, they should take it. Sam Bill, Darnold. Really? Is, no. Is Sam Darnold good? No. You're dead wrong for one reason. Okay. If you're in on the quarterbacks, that's one thing. But if the Giants have decided we're not going to take a quarterback in this draft, which looking at how they've panned out, maybe was not a bad decision. It However, was a, it was no, a good decision. There the were no good quarterbacks except Josh Allen, which but it, would Josh Allen have worked on the Giants or no? The answer is no. You're right about that. I I'm a big believer that quarterbacks, it's ultimately about whether you go to a good team or not. The Giants are not. However, if you're out of the quarterback market, the Colts traded three picks to move up three spots, three second rounders to move up three spots behind the Giants, which means the Giants could have done what the Jets did, or sorry, what the Colts did. That's fair. Move right. back four spots, still get Quentin Nelson. You could have picked up Darius Leonard, and then they have Braid Smith, who's starting right tackle. It's a football That's fair. game. Four players are always going to beat one. Bill, you can I agree get a, with that. You logic, can get a future Hall of Famer in Ramondre Stevenson in the fourth round. Why spend a second <laughs> overall pick on a running back? Another great point. <laughs> I will say with Ramondre Stevenson, it really does seem like this is one of those, this guy might actually be in shape and eating healthy for the first time <laughs> in his life kind of things. Because he failed his conditioning test. He showed up as a professional athlete, having already been drafted, to start the next phase of his career it would be like when we hired Craig to be a, a a podcast engineer way back when, and he just like failed whatever first test it would be. It was like <laughs> we you knew you had the job. How did like so this guy shows up and within six weeks he be he's actually in shape and flying around. I don't know. I still feel like Barkley is one of the most talented running backs I've ever seen in my life. And but what's it gotten them? But, if, but in the last if, four if, years, like, the Giants think, have the worst record in football. No, I get that. But if like <laughs> if you could have had Ladanian Tomlinson with the second pick in two thousand two or whatever, the decision bears out. If you think he's like a generational back, I think the problem is, you know, looking back at it, if you're going to criticize them on it, it's like who should they have taken? They would have taken Sam Darnold, and would Sam Darnold have succeeded with the Giants? No. No, so it goes back you to, still have Barkley. It goes back to Gettleman not knowing things cost because he, he yeah, said that the Giants fair. got no offers for number two. He called it, and I'm quoting him. He said, we got offered a bag of donuts and a hot dog. That's what he described. Three second rounders. They could have I, Quentin Nelson. I thought he did the whole thing where he was like, it's not for sale. Don't even give me offers. I thought he it was said, even worse. Well, that's part of it. He loved Saquon. He said that he would have handed in the pick at nine minutes and 59 seconds on the clock, like one second into the clock. But his like staff had to be like, you have to at least wait for a phone call. And like, that's the point. He's a good scout. He's a bad <laughs> manager. He's a bad general manager. He doesn't do the things like, hmm, maybe we should field phone calls and see what the price is for this pick or, you know, assess the receiver market or maybe restructure contracts to build cap space. He doesn't do any of these things. He's not interested in adapting to how the league has changed. It's infuriating. He'd be a great a fantasy manager, though. <laughs> if, he, if he had a, if he was in a two team league like Craig mentioned, he would still take Daniel two Jones. team two team. League. I like Craig's Craig created a two team league during this podcast. I think what's one of the worst places you could be as a sports fan is the year before the year when everything has to get blown up and the reset button has to get hit, where you actually kind of in a weird way have to root against your own team because it's yeah. like for the best. It's like yeah. rooting for somebody to die from an illness over suffering in a hospital bed for next year. You're just sitting there going, all right, we if we go four and 12, this could mercifully be over and we could start with a new quarterback and a new GM, which are ultimately the three things that matter, quarterback, GM, and coach. And it seems like you actually have a good coach. I, I actually coach think Judge good. might be okay. The coach are good. Gettleman and, and Jones is bad. I, this is how I feel. I texted you this the other day, but it's like, I think the Giants with Eli, it's like 
some people you can clone a dog when it dies and you can just like get the new dog. <laughs> and that's some people like Robert Streisand did that. Her dog died. Yeah. Now she's like five clones. That's what the Giants did with Eli Manning. Like they clone <laughs> Eli died. They cloned him and they have Daniel Jones. It's the same height. It's the same weight. He speaks like Eli, except he wasn't raised by Archie Manning. So he sucks. He was like, Eli, <laughs> Eli got dropped on his head once early on, like in the first two years. <laughs> so you guys have, is it a top, before we go, for your top tier, mm-hmm. which on the, the ringers, excellent, excellent, excellent fantasy football draft guide, which I think people actually go and look at, and but they don't tell other people. It's one of those things we don't get as much as we could get out of it because people they don't want other people in their draft to know about it. They feel like yeah. they have this, like Matthew Barry, everybody reads that column, right? He's been around for almost 20 years. Our draft guide is still kind of sleepery to people where they're just like, I hope other people don't know about this. But anyway, it's the weirdest our draft part of fantasy guide, content is people don't want to share it. It's yeah. Strange. I joked on our pod the other day that like people shouldn't share this with their friends if they want to win, which I know is bad for, for engagement, but well, they we're win. ruining that today. So we have McCaffrey, Cook, Elliot, Henry, Kamara, Jones as the top six, all running backs. Do you think that's the top tier or does it end earlier? Because I actually think you can make a case Kamara is going to be the number one guy in points by the end of this year because Mm. um, especially with Michael Thomas out, they're going to be relying on him more than ever. If I was going to say, if I was going to make a bet, who has the most points in fantasy, he would probably not have the best odds and I think would be the smartest bet. But do you think, is he in that top tier, DK, or is he... Second so, tier to you. I'm on an island, I think, in this group. Heifetz and Craig are a little dubious about the Alvin Kamara thing. Um, you know, because there's some doubt or, or worry that he's going to be as utilized in the passing game now that, that Breeze is gone. It's just like such a huge part of it before. And now it might change. But I'm kind of just of the opinion that Sean Payton's going to look at his offense, look at the receivers he has. By the way, it is Marquez Callaway, I believe. Mm. I looked this up. <laughs> Thank um, you, Mac. And... So I think he's going to look at what he has on offense and basically be come to the realization he has to like run this offense through Kamara. And so I think this is going to be a big part of it. Um, his efficiency, though, his legendary efficiency over the last few years, I think is where Craig and Heifetz are worried. Yeah, so you have a top five. Craig, you have a top four? Uh, I, have a, I think the first tier is just McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook. And then I think it's a, a mini tier drop. And then it's like, Zeke, Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones, Alvin Kamara. I have Zeke Heifetz. I have Zeke sixth out of that six. I trust him the least. I trust his team the least. I trust him the least. (laughs) And I don't think that's going to be a very good Cowboys team. And if I, by the way, as, as always, I always say this, if you're in a round by round draft, like you're eating your own boogers and you're probably living in your mom's basement. Uh, But if you are in a round by round draft, and I have the six pick. I'm like, fuck, I hope I hope I don't end up with Zeke Elliott would be my my take. What do you think, Heifetz? I'm a Giants fan and I actually would take Zeke third this year because I agree with Craig wow. that the top tier is McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook. And you can argue about what a tier means. But to me, it's those are the top two guys because if you take injury out of it, I have no question that they're going to be elite. Like none with the McCaffrey and Cook. Only injury can stop them. The other guys, it's just a series of questions of things that are outside of their control, for lack of a better term. Zeke, my only question with Zeke's production is, is that going to play with this weird pitching injury? I don't like yeah. when someone has this, yeah. an ankle injury. I think injury. that's a fair question. Can his quarterback, <laughs> A, throw a ball, and B, stay on the field for more than four games? Yeah, and the, and the offensive line, Dallas isn't always healthy, but the other guys have all those questions too, right? And so you've got Kamara. The question is, again, it's basically 
scored like a touchdown a game for his entire career. He's basically top three or four all time in touchdowns to start his career. If Drew Brees leaves, Jameis takes over. The offense isn't that good. And four weeks in, you're like, oh, Kamara's not scoring a touchdown a game and he's kind of average. He's like David Montgomery, mm. but like with a cooler name. It's like, I wow. feel pretty dumb. We're just, a, we're ranking Kamara as if Breeze is still on the team, I think. And I think that's the problem. We're just like assuming nothing will change. But Breeze is like the most efficient quarterback ever. Kamara's scored 60 touchdowns in 60 games. And now you have fucking Jameis Winston, who never checks down, goes deep all the time, has <laughs> a has, million turnovers. They're lives, not going to score as many points. Taysom Hill's going to get red zone rushes. I that's the other thing. He, he lives Hill, to like, throw into triple coverage. And, and that's the thing. It's like, it's not like Kamara's going to be bad. I'm not saying don't draft Kamara. Yeah, I'm he'll be like late first I'm, rounder. I'm concerned that if the offense is worse, again, he's not, Kamara's not an 85% of snaps guy. He's a 65% of snaps guy. Mm. And when you stop scoring touchdowns, that, that matters. That's why All I right, like Aaron so Jones too. Before we go, what running back would move into that top six? Like by the end of the year, we'll, we'll be saying, DK, um, that guy, we should have had him in the top six. I regret it. Is it Najee Harris for you? Yeah. And if it's not Najee, since we already talked about him, I think Eckler has a pretty good argument. Basically, because of what we just talked about with Alvin Kamara, like he's going to be the Alvin Kamara for the Chargers. I think, you know, with that offense, Herbert showed a willingness and, you know, like he wanted to check down a lot. Yep. Late in the season when Eckler came back, it was almost to the detriment of their offense. I think Eckler is going to get fed in the passing game. Uh, You know, he could catch 80 passes. Plus, he's just really explosive. Um, You know, I don't know what their offense is going to look like, really. But, you know, you got the uh, the Lombardi style coming from coming from New Orleans. And I think, you know, the way that they used Alvin Kamara is how they're going to use Eckler. So he could be the guy that you look at. You're like, why weren't we higher on this guy early on? Or he could be the guy you're looking at because they're showing him on the sidelines wearing street clothes (laughs) in week six. And you're like, oh, my God, I spent $53 for him and he has a. (laughs) Torn labrum. Has he played <laughs> six games in a row in his career? I can't, yeah. I honestly can't remember. He has? Craig, honestly, who's, your, who's your guy? Damien Harris, Najee Harris, or Eckler to move into that group? Uh, probably Najee Harris. I, there's like a good chance that Najee Harris like leads the league in touches, which is kind of insane. I think if he was drafted second, like Saquon was, he'd be a top five pick in drafts right now. Kind of like Clyde last year. I think we're just all anchored. We're scarred from Clyde. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're scarred from Clyde. He was a late first rounder. If he went second in the draft, he'd be a top five pick this year. Yeah, I like Heifetz's 85% of the touches stat. That, that, I think that's fair. Like, if you end up with a running back who just is involved in plays all the time, constantly, that's why I like Antonio Gibson. I just think he's going to... I know you're worried about McKissick, but I just think Gibson's going to have to be on the field and that team actually has a chance to be good. All right, so you have a few more pods coming. And then when we move into the season, when's your big gambling props preseason pod? Is that Friday? Friday? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then we're moving into the season and we got a lot of stuff going and you could check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Ringer Podcast. Craig, Danny, Danny, good to see you. I'm popping on your pod as well so people can listen to that as well. Yeah, uh, and again, we'll the guide is fantasyfootball.theringer.com. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. Have you ever been in an accident? And you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need. Have coverage options to protect the things you value most. 
file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? First half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, my friend Michael Malley is here. He's always up to shit. He just on the side was doing this um, star show, which he's the executive producer of. He plays a wrestling manager with a crazy beard. Uh, it's on stars. I was skeptical, like all wrestling fans, because what are the odds a wrestling show about the uh, inner workings of wrestling was going to actually be good? But it's really good. And uh, I don't even remember if you've been on this incarnation. I think you were on the old pod, but... Um, I was. But yeah, yeah, you, you haven't been on the ringer version, but um, I, I'm i really having you on just because I want more people to watch the show because I really like it. What has the feedback been? Thank you. Uh, well, the feedback's been tremendous. Uh, we just had an episode where CM Punk plays a character named Ricky Rabies, and you can't get more authentic as a wrestler than CM Punk. And I think that him putting his stamp of approval on the show has really raised the profile of the show. The show. Well, you, been- you got, you caught him unbelievable timing. He just made his huge comeback and had this great television moment. We, we were very lucky. We, you know, a long time ago when this, this show was first kicking around, he had auditioned for the role of Jack and, uh, that, that version of the show did not go forward. And so when this part came up and we were making the show, uh, our great producer, Julie Yorn said, Hey, we should, you know, get in touch with uh, Phil Brooks and and bring him down. And then he came down and he was just tremendous. I mean, just a great guy and a great actor. And I loved writing for him. So let's go backwards because the story of this show is pretty unusual. This is a show that uh, it's a good idea. Like a lot of times on TV, somebody will write a pilot, they take you into a whole world. It's like, wow, there's really good script but nobody's going to actually make this. How do you do it? How do you find the actors? How do you find, you know, two good looking muscular guys who can actually act and do all the moves and seem authentic. Then you have to deal with all the wrestling psychos and you have to pass this (laughs) invisible taste test with them. And do the stories make sense? Is this authentic enough? You have to win all that. Then you got to find the right showrunner for it. And all these things, how many years are we talking here? Well, hundred percent to everything that you said, this, this idea, uh, this show was created by a guy named Michael Waldron, who's now, uh, running Loki. Yeah. That, that's uh, not writing, an insignificant show. Loki. Exactly. Writing, uh, he wrote the, the sequel to the Dr. Strange, uh, the next Dr. Strange movie. And now he's writing a star Wars movie. So this guy is a really talented guy who grew up in Georgia and, had an idea because he was a massive wrestling fan to set a show in an independent promotion in Southwestern Georgia. He sold the idea and they couldn't find the right casting. Uh, that's one of the things that's so difficult about doing a show about 
sports and doing an athletic show is finding a person who can, okay, believably do all of the wrestling like you spoke about and then carry the emotional acting and the storylines of what we're going to have to do because you can't make a show. Every episode is not going to be about, did he have the right move? Did he mess up the move? Did he get it right? Did he get it wrong? It has to be about so much more. It has to be about the behind the scenes of these people's lives and how it affects them and are their aspirations worthy and how do we tap into that? And so Stephen Amell, who at the time was very right because he's a massive wrestling fan and he was winding down Arrow and then so I, I've Alex- seen him at a bunch of WWE shows and he's like a legit psychotic WWE fan. He is a massive WWE fan and he's just, he's a tremendous athlete and he's in incredible shape and he can do these things and he's a great actor. And so it was fortuitous that when this show circled back around. So what happened was stars, I had done a show, I had created a show for stars called Survivor's Remorse. We did four seasons of that and I had a great experience working with them and they came to me and they said, we have this project that we love, but the guy who created it, he's doing other stuff. Would you mind coming in and show running this show? And I know some of your listeners know, but people say, what is a showrunner? He's basically a head coach. He's, he's writing, he's coaching, he's looking over things. He's a conductor. That's the job, he or she. And, um, and so I loved the scripts. I thought the scripts, uh, there was, you know, four of them that were excellent and pretty much ready to go. And then there were four others that needed some polishing and some work done on it. But the concept and the idea was tremendous. Wait, and- so so what's your wrestling knowledge at this point? Are you like a B plus, B minus, C minus? Where are uh, you? I would say that my wrestling, you know, knowledge about, you know, how everything happened, but how everything went behind the scenes was a B. You know, it that's solid. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I knew enough that it was uh, that the it was scripted, you know, the idea that not scripted like it is so much in the show. And that was part of it that we were trying to do in the show. It has to be you have to show and explain to people in terms that don't understand wrestling, because even like my wife, you know, I said, if you saw this poster uh, and I told you that this show is about independent wrestling, would you watch it? She's like, no. Why? Because she's not interested in wrestling. And yet now she is because she sees, you know, the behind the scenes and this idea that it's not unlike, you know, a community theater or a minor league baseball team. There are people who have these dreams and aspirations and they really care about them. And if you can plug into those characters and tell stories where you relate to that, it makes the backdrop better. And, you know, Stars is always looking for, as all networks are, what is a setting that hasn't been seen before? You know, what, what have we not seen before? You know, it's, it's not a hospital. It's not a crime show. It's like, what is a world that you can show why people take it so seriously? And what are the rewards and the joy that they get from that? And so I was very lucky to be um, included into a, you know, a group where it was, it was a really dynamic setting. And then once we had Stephen and Alexander, uh, Ludwig, Alexander Ludwig, who was on Vikings and his show was winding down there. You just had two guys who were tremendous actors. They had the full range. They can be dramatic, emotional, comedic, and then actually do the wrestling in the ring. 
because we weren't going to do facial replacement. We weren't going to do, you know, I always, I bring up this reference only because it's ridiculous and you'll relate to it. It's like, I just remember in, in happy days, the episode where uh, Mr. Cunningham was going to go save the guys. Uh, <laughs> and it was revealed that Mr. Cunningham was a great <laughs> car dealer. And even as a kid, I, when I realized like Mr. Cunningham, Tom Bosley is doing this and then they cut to his hands. And he's just doing this incredible, you know, shuffling of the deck. And it clearly was not Tom Bosley. <laughs> he was, he so was black. Always, we were like, wait, Tom Bosley's not black. What's going on? <laughs> you know, it's just like Tom Bosley clearly is not a great, um, you know, shuffler of cards. And uh, a dated reference for those of you. Uh, I loved it. Under the age of 50. But the, I realized like I, you know. And everyone now with the DVR, they're pausing, and that was a double, and this, this is a stunt guy. I mean, these guys really did it. The, you know, Steven and Alexander and all the other guys, you know, Alan Maldonado, James Harrison, uh, Robbie Ramos, Trey Tucker, uh, um, Duke, uh, Duke Roberts. I mean, it's just amazing, you know? Well, so this show hits a couple things that I think is a recipe for success. One is you took us into a world, right? This is this independent wrestling world, I've always been fascinated by. It has this guillotine effect of like, if you create a star, the guy might leave, which you set up in the first show. Um, but in general, like that whole world, these people, they're working day jobs sometimes and whatever. So I was really into, into that. I always like when they're siblings, I feel like that's one of the, uh, untapped things. Like there's never really been a great show about sisters in the last 15 years. And just like the concept of this older, younger brother thing really like that. And then from a wrestling fan standpoint, how focused, uh, Stephen Amell's character is the lead character on just the concept of story and pacing and no, no, this isn't right for your character. We have to build this. The time's not right. And this is how they actually talk with the wrestling thing. So I, I just, to me, that felt like really authentic. And I'm so used to people screwing up these sports shows, <laughs> you know, and, and it, it's so rare. Football, basketball, baseball. There's been so many times when they just, something was off and they didn't get it. I think that's why everybody still loves Bull Durham 32 years later, because it was authentic. It felt like a minor league baseball situation. So I think to me, this reminds me more of Bull Durham than a TV show. Well, thanks. I mean, Pete Siegel, who directed the first two episodes and the last uh, four episodes, he did a great job. And then Jessica Lowry, who directed episodes three and four, they were great. And the cinematographer, Larry Blanford, who did all eight episodes, they were unbelievable. Pete has a lot of experience. He shot The Longest Yard. He shot, you know, mm. he directed that. He directed Grudge Match. And so he had a lot of experience in shooting uh, sports. And, and I think he and Larry together were able to film it in a way uh, that was really awesome and authentic. It almost feels like an indie movie. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that, that, you know, that was one of the things that we were going for. I think that it's interesting, Bill. You know, I know when you start out in your career, you really cared about, you know, writing and you were writing from your point of view and you were trying to make it great and you were working really hard. Just like when I was, you know, starting out as an actor, doing plays in New York and, and the, you know, 75 seats in the theater, but working on it as if it was a Broadway opening. That's what these guys are doing. And, and I liken it to, um, you know, Steppenwolf Theater Company, which is this, you know, Chicago theater company where John Malkovich came out of there and Gary Sinise. And it was just a group of people who were working in this, uh, 
you know, storefront, putting on plays, writing plays, doing plays, but wanting it to be great and really mm. caring about being great and not being known. And I think all around the country, we know that there's people who are in bars who want to be great musicians and singer songwriters. And there's people doing, you know, in theater companies and there's people in, you know, playing at small colleges who are playing, you know, the sport that they love and the passion and what they're putting into that is no different than professionals. And this idea that in this little space, these people are trying to do their best, not just because they want to be discovered and make it big, but because they're artists who want to do their best, you know? Well, we should also mention you destroyed your family life doing the show. I mean, you were just gone. You see, your kids, you left your kids without a dad. You were just 3,000 <laughs> miles away. You let the, the Wilshire, uh, yeah, Wilshire Little League completely fell apart. <laughs> like you really, you really sacrificed a lot Listen, of stuff here. Man. You're going to make me burst into tears because I just dropped my daughter <laughs> off in college. I mean, that's just, that's coming. That's coming your way. And let me tell I you know, something. I'm not ready for it. Let me, let me just tell you right now, you, you, you've you never seen more grown men walking around in the days with the, you know, dusty eyes uh, or, or, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a shocking um, uh, confrontation with the passage of time when you, you know, you, you're, you're so happy that your kids are, are going off and, and living their life and you're excited for them because, uh, you know, I had the greatest time of my life in college, but it's hard, you, you know, producing a show in COVID was a challenge only because just like for everyone else, we were separated from one another and you weren't, you know, if you have a mask on at work, so much of producing a television show is about talking about moments and, Hey, why don't we refine right. it? And try this and let's try this joke and let's do this and let's and pulling somebody aside saying, Hey, you know what I was thinking right here trying to do it. You can't do that. You know, and, and you've completely, you know, anything that you have subtly that you're trying to convey to somebody has been completely shut off and then you can't even, Hey, here's a here's a pitch for a joke. Blah, 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 blah. You know, what I mean, it's just you what? can't read facial expressions. Any no, of that stuff? No, and and, yeah. and and it's unbelievable how much that you rely on that that just little. Hey, on this take, try this a little bit. Where you're doing this and that. Well, and also uh, nobody knows each other. It's almost like you know you you can't even remember who's who and who looks like who, and it's really hard. Like my daughter joined a new soccer team a year ago. And just getting to know the parents took me six months and it was only like 25 parents, but I just couldn't, I, you can't recognize cues, faces, anything. That is a thing about working on a television show is such a leap of faith because everyone comes in uh, with an open mind and wanting to make something great, but people are also guarded that they don't want to be embarrassed or be led to a direction or to do something that's bad, uh, especially if you're a director or your showrunner that, you know, you have to gain the trust of everybody that you're working with and come together. And something about, you know, the, the, the subtleties of sincerity that, that can be, um, you know, picked up just by people looking full face at one another and looking somebody in the eye. It's, yeah. it's just looking somebody in the eye. It's looking somebody in, 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 in the face. And, uh, but also I think that there is this, as we can see in the world right now, there is so much, uh, pent up, um, you know, it's like, it's like my daughter said when she was going to college, I, I, you know, it's, it's been a while since I've been around new people and talking to them and, and meeting them and, and, you know, what is the small talk that you make and, you know, being around one another. And I think when you're working on a brand new show and you have people like, is this person, this was early days 
you know, of the of production and the pandemic were, I, if, if, can I catch something from this person? A- anyway, right. this is all, you know. Yeah, it's, it's not, how, it, not how you want to do the first season of a TV show. No, what's, no. what's been the response from wrestling fans who are notoriously um, picky? Let's say picky. We'll, we use right. that word for uh, the uh, diehards. There are, there are those who love that we are telling a story set in this world that they love and take very seriously and that they're honoring, that we are honoring and trying to honor the sweat, the grind, what goes into it, uh, what goes on behind the scenes, uh, the joy that comes from it. It's not just the pain and the frustration and the sort of battling. Did I get the push? Did I not get the push? It's that. They like that. Um, this common criticisms of uh, and expected ones about Jack being so serious about writing the scripts and mm. calling it a character instead of a gimmick. Um, but you know, that was, those were leaps that we took because we wanted people who didn't understand the language of wrestling and the, and the vocabulary that wrestlers use. We didn't want them to be confused. We're trying to bring more people into the tent. Well, you're because- trying to get, you're trying to get my wife and your wife. Right. And that's the thing with all these shows. Cause I remember I've told this story before in the pod, but like the first year of ER, I would go over to my dad's house and my stepmom was an OBGYN and we would watch ER and she'd be like, oh no, that, that would never happen. And she's <laughs> right. shooting it down, shooting right. down these like very <laughs> tiny things. And my dad and I were like, hey, I'm just trying to enjoy the show. This is a good show. Can you leave us alone? There's somebody so, dying. They're in the yeah. ER. <laughs> so you, sometimes you have to broaden it out, but I, I actually think it's been really authentic, you know, like I, I get it. You're, you're going to cartoonishly tweak some stuff and make it seem like he's like this tortured Ernest Hemingway writing the wrestling scripts, but you got to do that. That's how you suck in my wife. Right. And, and I actually think that where that character is going, Jack Spade, his, uh, the idea that he really believes that these performers have to be not only good at the wrestling, but they have to be really good at the acting. They have to be really good actors. Like the, the, the language and the, and the arguments and the persuasion and all of the things that they're saying on the mic mm-hmm. are as important as the wrestling. Now, obviously the wrestling has to be great. That's what people are coming out to see, but they get evolved emotionally in the promos in the things that are said on the mic in the stuff that is said before the match happens, all of that is really, really important. And I hope that we get to play that off later. I think from wrestlers, we had this great guy, Lou Cox, who is a wrestler out of a professional wrestler out of new Orleans. And he has his own wrestling promotion. That's not unlike uh, the DWL bigger, a little bit more yep. successful. And he was there and these guys had carte blanche to tell us because we, we wanted them to tell us, what are we getting wrong? What are they, are we saying anything wrong? Are we doing anything that's wrong? Or what are we getting wrong? And they would tell us and we'd change it. Well, you also have the, there's a bigger parallel with what happened with AEW the last couple of years. Now that's a bigger, that's a national, uh, wrestling place that has a TV deal and all that, all that stuff. This is a really local thing that you're dealing with, but same kind of thing, right? The Cody Rhodes in AEW is a little like Jack Spade where it's like, he starts it with Jericho and a couple other people. And they really wanted to get back to the authenticity of storytelling, building characters, taking your time. And that's basically what Jack Spade's doing. The difference is in AEW, if you got there, you kind of made it. The world you're creating, you're trying to get out of there to get to AEW or WWE. 
Right. And it's funny, Bill, because you're 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 spot on. Uh, Cody Rhodes is a friend of Stephen A. Mel's and he and I can early on in this process. And we were trying to get him involved, but because of COVID and he wanted to be involved because of COVID, he couldn't come and go. So you had to get tested. You'd have to quarantine for a week or 10 days, then come in and then you couldn't leave, you know, the bubble, so to speak. We didn't have a bubble in that we we couldn't leave, but it was just cu- the coming and going um, of the group of people and the testing was very rigorous. And so, but Cody was great in just talking to him early on about, and his support for Steven, and he was always somebody that, um, that, that Steven could talk to. Also, uh, Alexander Ludwig would, you know, his co-star Edge from uh, Vikings, he would talk to him about you know, wrestling. They were always able to go to speak to these guys about it. But at in a, in a moment in the pilot, we had put a line in where uh, Wild Bill, played by Chris Bauer, is talking to Jack Spade about what is this thing that you're trying to build? And Jack uh, name-checked AEW. We didn't want to necessarily put it in a specific time um, of where it was. And so that's why we took took it out. But what, you know, what AEW is showing people is that there is a, there is a, there's, there are other people who want to see wrestling done in a different way. And if you can just get a, enough people to watch uh, mm. on your, you know, program and that there's other programming outlets that are looking for different stuff and you can make the stuff good, it isn't an implausible dream or as implausible as it may have seemed a few years ago. So uh, you, you mentioned Chris Bauer. Amazing. Oh, so on the rewatchables, we have a category for uh, best that guy. Chris Bauer is a first ballot Hall of Famer. That guy who eventually became Chris Bauer. He's Chris Bauer to me, but he's machine in eight millimeter. Yeah. He's Sabaka in the wire. And it's just on through. If you go look at his IMD, be like, oh, oh, he, oh yeah, he was in that. Oh, he was in that one too. And then I think eventually at some point he became Chris Bauer. Then by the, I think by the time he was in the, uh, the David Simon, what was the porn show? Yes, he, he was there because then he did True Blood and then he, he, he True played, Blood made him Chris Bauer. That's right. what, yeah, and that was when it turned. He played uh, Jimmy Flaherty on my show, Survivor's Remorse. He did four seasons of that, the owner of the basketball team. And then he went to do uh, The Deuce, which was the David Simon. Yeah, that's, that's what it's called. This, this guy, I mean, he was in the last David Mamet play that was, you know, off Broadway. I mean, this guy is, is, you say well, well he's playing he's playing not a typical chris bauer character he's got crazy long hair he looks fucking awesome so my uh we're gonna take a break and then i want to talk about boston sports but my interest with having you on to talk heels was i just really like the show i want people to watch it i want them to binge watch it i think you can watch it with your girlfriend wife significant other whoever that is and i really want there to be a season two i just want to i want to make sure i want to feel like i did my part because I want to be in season two. I feel like I could be a Ricky rabies type podcaster that I comes in. I, I just, I, I want in. I want it on an okay. episode. Listen, I, I'm Bill. an East coast guy who moves to Atlanta to try to make it and end up, it doesn't really work out for me that well. And now I'm like rebuilding it, but I have this wrestling podcast and I end up like double crossing uh, Jack Spade or something. I, I think we can work this out. I'm ready. Well, you're talking to the right guy if we <laughs> want that to happen. But I, I, you know, there are people who make television shows who wish and hope for uh, a person 
with your platform to talk about our show. I really appreciate it, man. That's exactly, you know, I mean, from All right, your, listen, stars here. on demand. First of all, everyone should have stars. I don't mean to make this stars plug, but they have fucking awesome movies. Yeah. They have a shitload of movies in the library. This is not a paid advertisement of stars. I just have always been a star supporter. It's like where you're going to find New Jack City and all the movies that I love back in the day. They have good shows and it's they're tied into Amazon. But then the stars app, the on-demand app, which, you know, the, or whatever, it's on Apple, whatever it's called, that app's really good. You can just plow through them. So you can catch up. There's only been three Heels episodes. By the time people listen to this, heading into Labor Day, they can catch up and then the fourth one's on Sunday. So, all right, we're going to take a break and uh, talk about a couple other things really quick. This episode is brought to you by Burger King, which has the greatest commercial song I think I've ever heard. The ultimate hunger hack has arrived, my friends. BK's Royal Crispy Wraps. Choose from four bold flavors, classic, spicy, honey mustard, and the new, drum roll please, fiery buffalo. Oh yeah, I'm getting that one. They're only, only just $2.99 each because at BK, have it your way, you rule. Try Royal Crispy Wraps at Burger King, $2.99 each. Price and participation vary, U.S. only. This episode is brought to you by Peloton. Spring, the best time of the year to dial your fitness routine up a notch. You know it's going to happen. It's going to get warm. Going to start wearing shorts. Going to start wearing bathing suits. Just you're not going to be able to cover up behind those big coats anymore. Also, it's nice outside. Get outside, do stuff. Or if you don't have time to get outside, I got Peloton for you. Whether you have five or sixty minutes. Peloton's workouts were made to challenge you. Classes like boot camps, full body strength, boxing, marathon training are created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in and you won't feel bad about not being outside. Peloton's expert coaches, challenging classes, and nonstop vibes will keep you coming back for more. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. All right, Boston sports quick. D. You, we won four Red Sox titles. It's, I'm not going to complain. I'm going to complain a little because the Mookie trade, which we've discussed. Every time I've run into you anywhere in LA, we end up talking about Mookie bets. I still haven't gotten over it. Yesterday during the Red Sox game, they showed the scenes of the game coming up in the announcer because it was an ESPN game. The announcer's like, there's Mookie bets. Cover your eyes, Red Sox fans. And it hurt again. It's just, it constantly hurts. It makes me upset. I know you're upset too. We don't really need to dwell on it, but it's kind of the shadow of the season, that trade. Yeah. And I was watching that game where he hit that home run after how many at how many pitches was that at bat when he then jacked it up and then they right. made a t-shirt out of it. And and they, and you know, you have a son who, you know, plays baseball now. And my kids, you know, the, the Mookie was like. I know we share our love for Fred Lynn, you know what I mean? Yeah. So Fred Lynn, I was just devastated. Like, how can you not, how can you not resign this guy? How could that happen? And to my sons and to, and of course I'm still a massive Red Sox fan. It just was like, how do you, how do you not make this work? How do you not make it work? And um, yeah, the Lynn fist thing destroyed our entire generation. It did. It did. I mean, it was devastating. It took years. And then finally the 86 team made us forget about it, but it was yeah. years of just pain and agony about it. And, and that's the thing is that you, you get, they're selling connection and emotion, right? They they sell you on 
becoming emotionally involved with these players and like characters, right? It's like characters in a, you know, the wrestling characters that we were talking about. It's like you follow people, you get their jersey, you have their number, you root for them and you go with them and their ups and downs. And then you get one who comes along and you just fall in love with the guy and what he's doing for you. Think about how your mood rises and, and, and falls you know, whether or not the Red Sox win a game, you know, it's, I know it's, it's I, I actually said to my wife yesterday, they blew the Tampa game, which I knew they were going to blow as, as soon as it was two one. Cause our bullpen's dead. The overuse, some COVID stuff. We were one guy short the whole season anyway, but it, it, I was texting, uh, Mike sure our friend and my friend Hench, who you also know. And I was just like, I, I feel like any close game against a good team, we have like a 15% chance to win. And that's just the reality of it. And that's how it played out in that game. But watching that game and just that feeling of like, I said to my wife, I've watched way more Red Sox than I usually do this year. And this was the first time I'm like, wow, that was a lot of waste of time. Yeah, I know. I just feel like we're either missing the playoffs or we're going to lose the wild card game. Can I have those 200 hours back? I know. But then you're in such a great mood when uh, when they it's like, yeah, I mean, everyone's high. Now we have have Mac. Now we have our guy Mac, our new savior. It's Mac. I mean, come on, man. I'm just all all I'm I I was literally I when I saw that the uh, that that Cam got released today and now you know, the just fourth game against Brady. I'm just completely clear the decks, completely just get ready to watch that game. It's going to be, God, I hope, I hope he has a couple wins under his belt before that game happens. Kyle, Kyle, is your mic on? No, but I'm here. Um, Kyle, what's your state of mind for that Mac Jones Brady game in week four? Oh my God. What are, I actually, that was the first time I've thought about it, Mike mentioning it, because I've been so excited about Mac. I knew they would do this. I knew it was the right guy, but that Mac-Tom game is going to be, it feels like the most important regular season game of the entire Belichick era. I think we're going to run the ball that game. That's what I think. (laughs) I was actually thinking about, like, what is Belichick going to do playing against Brady? Like, what, like, are they just going to try to sack him on every single play? And you know that, you know, Brady will just, he'll be ready for it and eat it, you know, eat him up. But it's well, we, we have the, we have the D line this year to actually push him up the middle and make him go side to side, which is the, as we found out in two giant Super Bowls, the key to fucking with Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time. I do. I, I've had, I forget who the last person was talking about, uh, maybe it was Schrager talking about, um, Brady winning the Super Bowl last year. I loved it. And what it meant to Belichick and the little upper hand thing that's going on now. Belichick spends more money than he's ever spent in free agency. He drafts Mac Jones. And I think the Pats are going to be really good. I really, the over under is still nine and a half. If we don't win 10 games, I will be shocked. I love this team and I think they're going to be really good. From your lips to God's ears. So here's the story about heels and, and, former Patriots. Mm. I flew to Foxborough and auditioned Rob Gronkowski. What? Part of Bobby Pin. Oh my God. He had retired. Yeah. And uh, I thought he would be a great Bobby Pin, uh, who was a character in Heels. And we went there and 
myself and the director, Pete Siegel, we flew to Boston and we were at his house and we had a, a, a lovely actress who uh, was a local actress who I had met through a friend and read the scenes with him. He auditioned. He, you know, he was, we were trying to figure out, he was trying to figure out if he wanted to do it. And we were trying to figure out if our inclination was correct, that he would be great in this role. And he knew every single word. He knew all the lines. He sat down, we were at his house. His dad was there. His girlfriend was there. His brothers was there. And, and we worked on it for probably two wow, or three So you're hours. saying Oscars down the road for Gronk? <laughs> Super Bowl rings and Oscars? What do you think? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I will just say this. We offered him the part. And we really? offered him the part. Yes. And then he decided to, to go back and play football and win a Super Bowl ring. But he That's would, when Tom uh, Brady called. That's when Tom Brady trumps Mike O'Malley pretty yeah, much every exactly. time. And I understand. Tom Brady's that. like, Gronk, I need you. And he's Gronk's like, I okay, I'll be there tomorrow. But I mean, a lot of people, obviously, you know, Gronk has brought us so much joy and love as Patriots fans, and he's everywhere with his endorsements and what he's working on. But I will say, I got a glimpse into why he's such a successful athlete. This was dense dialogue. These, this, these were a couple of, you know, you've seen the show, so you understand. This wasn't sort of just breezy, lighthearted stuff. It was dense and complicated and we showed up and so often when you're you know an actor you're you're a director you're a showrunner you work with actors they're like i'm just going to sort of see how this goes and and they're, and they're kind of loosey-goosey with stuff and that approach sometimes leads to it being more authentic because it doesn't feel like it's uh, recited but in that's, the case that's of, my approach, by the way, when, when we're working <laughs> together in season two, I'm a little more loosey goosey. <laughs> no, 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 no. Right. Well, <laughs> listen, you know, what's fun is that Mick Foley is coming up in episode six as Ooh. a podcaster play. He, play, he plays a character named Dick Valentino and he's awesome. So I would love it if uh, Bill Simmons, your character is a rival. Uh, there's a feud between uh, Dick Valentino played by Mick Foley and Bill Simmons. And but no, anyway, it'll be my character, Simon Williams, but keep going. Right. I like that. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so, so, um, Gronk was so prepared and, uh, and again, he, we, I had never met him. Uh, Pete Siegel never met him. We came into his house and he just nailed it. And you're probably expecting dumb Gronk. Cause well, that's the Gronk. Like we, we, we were used to quirky kind of sitcom character Gronk. I think that, you know, sometimes when, uh, athletes, uh, people want to accommodate them when they're doing a commercial or they're doing a comedy series or what have you. They just want to make them comfortable. And so they're willing to just adjust to whatever it is that they're giving them. We wanted to really see that he could act these scenes yeah. because again, we knew he could do the physical stuff, but we wanted to see if he could carry the emotional storylines. And this was a romantic storyline too, as you'll see in upcoming episodes. He was unbelievable. We offered him the part. Gronk, uh, the offer is still open if you're watching this uh, interview right now. Maybe season three. There's been a lot of Gronk buzz about how good he's looked in training camp and he's gotten some fantasy buzz, all kind of stuff. I don't care. I got Mac Jones. Kyle, I didn't tell you this. Um, last night, Ben Simmons, my son, um, I was like, we need a Mac jersey, right? Because I really thought Mac was going to start week one. I love and I that. I was like, we got to get this now before 
And Ben's like, yeah. So we went on the website and we're looking at different colors. And then we got the white, the old school white, the, the 1980s white with the red stripes with Max on it. It was like we knew. It was like the whole Simmons family knew Mac Jones Day was coming. So that's going to be ready. We're going to have the Mac Jones jersey. I really enjoyed having Cam. I, I just don't think physically he was there, but the Seattle game with Cam was really fun. It was a fun month with Cam. I know Kyle's attached to him. But um, but look, you can't stop 20 years of Mac. 20 years of Mac had to happen, and this is where we're going. Last year, you know, Cam, uh, there was some, just some heartbreaking losses at the end of those games last year. Yeah, but- just wasn't meant to be. wasn't happening. Uh, before we go, you told me you wanted to tell the story. So we have a little time left. The story of your 1999 NBC show, yeah. which lasted how many episodes? It lasted two episodes. Okay. Your two episode big break that somehow had Will Arnett. Who else was on that show? Kate Walsh. Kate uh, Walsh. Missy Yeager, uh, my sister, Carrie O'Malley, and uh, Mark Rosenthal, an amazing New York actor. And it was directed by James Widows, who was Hoover in Animal House. Wow. So this is late 90s NBC. NBC is the king. NBC has friends and ER and Seinfeld has just left. (laughs) They're looking to fill the Seinfeld void. And this is your big break. This is... The, but you're the Rick at this point too, right? You had the, the Rick, Rick was on ESPN a little bit I at had, that point? I had already... The Rick was a character that I played on ESPN, yes. I had already had a sitcom that was on the WB. It was called Life with Roger. Uh, it only went 20 Who, episodes. Who was who's not, on that show? I don't remember Life with Roger. Uh, myself, uh, a guy named Maurice Gadan. It was uh, it was on the WB. This is back in the days Say where, no more. If, I know, but but probably eight million people watched it. Right. It would be the most popular show on television right now. Um, you know, we're wishing you know, we wish we had those numbers. Right. Uh, and so, as a result of that, I got a deal to write a pilot. I ended up writing a pilot set in New Hampshire with Sam Simon, who famously co-created The Simpsons, and that didn't go. But then I got this opportunity to write my own show uh, with a guy named Les Firestein called The Michael Malley Show that I was going to. Uh, star in. And so what's I watched the opening credits because you told me Buffalo Tom. And this is a the band one near Beard or Heart. They did the theme song. So I'm like, I'm going to see that, but I don't want to know anything else about the show. And it actually had this cool foosball opening credit sequence where the actors' faces were on foosballs and yeah. Buffalo was- Tom's banging out the song. So it was a very promising start. What happened? Uh, what happened was it got canceled after two episodes. So I just call that now. I actually just say that it was a mini series, but you know, <laughs> I think that what's interesting about having gone through that experience is that you, and now being, you know, 20 years later doing heels, uh, it's the crazy thing about it is that when you're, you're doing a show and you've put everything into it and I was not. I was not a theater, you know, I had done plays, but I was not a theater actor. I didn't have a movie career. It was all trying to go forward to do doing sitcoms. And when you're, you're going forth and you're just auditioning and then you're doing projects, then you're developing projects. And we were on, we were going to be on, we were on after Will and Grace at the height of must see TV. And what's amazing is that when you're going 
through this and you just think there's all you all you're only thinking about the upside you're thinking oh this is going to be everybody loves raymond it's going to be seinfeld it's going to be roseanne it's going to be as popular as that and not realizing especially in those days which is so different than what it is now it's just the the competition it's it's you go on one network the other network's trying to blow you out of the water and that if you are on at that time period everybody has to have an opinion about you so we're here talking about heels some people don't even, they're not even aware of what the show is. They don't have stars. They don't know, you know, where to find it. But hey, Bill says it's good. I should check it out. At least we have the opportunity to have people like you talking about the show so then people can go find that out. Back then, 1999. Um, I well, it's like, it's like starting, starting quarterbacks. There's 32 starting quarterbacks. And if right. you're not up to snuff for whatever reason, you have to go. And you and everybody has an opinion about you, whether you like it or not. And so um, that was what was amazing about that was just the staggering, uh, the staggering reception that you don't realize. Like when you you read the paper and there's a good review, there's a bad review. You're like, oh, I should check that out. You're not thinking when you read the bad review. It's like, oh, I feel so bad for those people whose show is about to get canceled. And you never think it's going to happen to you because that's not how you're proceeding. You know, the, all of this, and by the way, show business is something that we invite ourselves into, right? No one's asking us to do it. Everyone tells us it's going to be hard. Being an actor is probably the only profession that people tell you you're going to fail at before you even try it. You know, even if, if you're a writer and you're writing, you know, at least writing seems a, a little bit more creative and noble going into acting just seems like you're just like a selfish person who's, you know, an attention whore and mm. you know, look at me, look at me. <laughs> and, and so all of this is, it's, something that you pursue because you feel as if you have something to offer, you have something to say, and then it just completely goes away. But I, I, I think, you know, what's important for me when I talk to people who are younger, like my daughter's age, who are just going into the college and going into show business is like, you have to just be incredibly resilient because man, it's unbelievable how, um, when you put something out there and you say, this is something that I think is funny or has heart or, or something that is worthy of your time, that you then, you have to deal with how people receive that. No, you're terrible. I think you're terrible. I think this show is terrible. I think you're terrible. And you don't ever expect that. But if you can survive that and keep focused, one day you might be 22 years later, talking to a guy like Bill about the show you're working on now. Well, I, I also had a show canceled. So I, I was, I yeah. was living it. You, you need a lot of luck with this stuff. And then the other thing is once it's over, you can look back and go, I should have done this, 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 you know, I know all the things I wish I'd done now, but you don't know it in the time. And then it's like this train that leaves the station where it's like, it might not be totally ready, but you just kind of got to cross your fingers and hope Hope it's ready. Sometimes it's not. Then you ended up on yesterday. How many years later? We did. Well, that was six months later. So that was the thing. The show. So you get yesterday. That's on like the rest of the decade somehow. It is. It's on the rest of the decade and, and still in syndication. But yeah, I mean, my agents had said after, you know, my show, got, you know, canceled. It's like I was like, OK, so what should we do? And they're like, just keep your head down for a little while. I was like, keep my head down. It's like, you know, but, uh, you know, it was great because. You know, six months later, I got yesteryear and uh, actually less than six months later. And that went for six seasons. And 
Uh, I think that one of the things that I didn't realize when I was going through the process of, you know, my show getting canceled was that you don't realize that everyone has a story. For the most part, everyone in, in show business has a story of the thing that they really worked on very hard that they, they got canceled too. And so it's almost like you, you know, you had a, you had a bad game or you had a bad outing and, but that doesn't mean that you don't have what it takes to succeed. You just can't get down in yourself and be like, woe is me. You really have to just get, get back up off the mat and go at it again. And well, I remember when I, when I moved out here to work on Jimmy's show and I really, I wanted to take my column cause I had had success with it. But I, to me, it didn't seem like an end game at that point. The internet hadn't blown up into what it was. And I was like, I'm going to take my, you know, the success I'm having here and then try to be a screenwriter and write movies and TV shows, things like that. Cause that, that's more stable. I can do it that way. And then when I was out here for Jimmy's show and I would meet different people and I'd meet the people in Hollywood, I'd meet agents, people like that. And they'd be like, what are you doing? Why do you want to be a right? Why do you want to write scripts? You're in the perfect spot. Right. Like writing scripts sucks. You have a 90% chance of yeah. each one you write never works out. Something falls through. It get, it goes in a turnaround. It's like, it sucks to do this. You should go back to what you're doing. And the more I looked at it and, and then I had a couple of experiences myself where it was like, you realize threading the needle is almost impossible, which is what's interesting about heels where with heels, that was a multi-year experience before it finally gets on and you needed like three, four breaks. But that's usually seems to be the stories. I've never heard a story about a TV show where they're like, oh yeah, we had the show. First four choices for an actor. First thing, like, you, and then you need the executive to believe in it. You have to make sure that executive doesn't get fired before you launch your show. It's like 19 things. It, it, is, it is so complicated. But, you know, when you go back to you wanting to be a screenwriter, it's because you have interest in a wide variety of things and you want to do that. Uh, you're obviously very creative with your, you know, your books and, and with all the documentaries that you work on. But it is a it's, it's a thing about wanting to be in this business. And I think in particular for coming from I'm from New Hampshire, you're from Massachusetts, um, I wasn't smart enough to get into Holy Cross, which was my first choice. I had college. I had family. No, I had, I had a dad and two uncles. Um, but <laughs> but I so you know I'm at the University of New Hampshire, and I want to get into this business. And then you come out here and you deal with the ruthlessness of the business. And I'm sure this happened to you. It certainly happened for me. People are like, "Oh, you're just a regular guy. Don't forget where you came from. Hey, don't don't forget where you came from. Hey, don't forget where you came from." And you're so like. Okay, man, I, I gotta really, I gotta really not forget, you know, where I came from and what does that mean? And yet you're still younger, you're in your twenties, which is a very difficult time in your life. You know, when I was in New York and Los Angeles, just being in your twenties is almost more complicated, I think, than any time of your life, because you're trying to figure out how you fit in. And, you know, so finding a way to fit in and finding a way to say what it is that you want to say, and then finding, just like you said, executives who believe it, fellow actors who believe it, somebody who just says, hey, you know something? You have something to say, and I like you, and I'm going to get behind you. Mm. That is so hard to find. And uh, thankfully, you and I both had that in John Walsh, who loved the Rick. And Yeah, yeah, true. We did. Um, before we go, we should mention the first lady of ESPN, you worked with on uh, on Yes, dear. Yes. And wait, we were you friends with Jimmy Pataro 
through her or you did you introduce them together? I forget what. No, happened. no, no. So I met Jimmy, and interestingly enough, I met Jimmy and Jeannie, Jean Louisa Kelly, who was on Yes, Dear. She was doing a show called Cold Feet on NBC at the same time the Michael Malley show uh, was first coming on, and so we met at the Upfronts in 1999, and. Uh, they were both great. They are great. And then we were doing yesterday together and Jimmy Pitaro, who's now the president of ESPN. Uh, we all became great friends and, you know, raised our kids together and, you know, no, he's, you guys are like pretty much best friends, but he's a fucking Yankee fan and you've been able to navigate it somehow. Which Let I me really tell you, he's an annoying Yankee fan. He's not just a Yankee fan. He's like an annoying Yankee fan. No, no, like, it, talks look, about how great Jeter is. And, oh, Jeter. <laughs> oh my God. And, Jimmy, Jimmy Pataro is one of the most solid guys in all of life. Yeah, he if, gets a little arrogant about the Yankees. No, let's be honest. So, let's be, no, I, he's a little kidding? arrogant. No, not, I've, I've seen the glit in his eyes. He's when not, 78 he's comes up, he gets a glit in his eye. I've seen it. Let me tell you something. This guy is the least arrogant guy you ever met. This guy is a completely down. I mean, no, he is. He he's, he's actually a very magnanimous Yankee fan, which is a rare, a rare thing. Yeah, man. If you, if you called him and you needed tickets, uh, you know, he'd get, he'd give them to you. He, he, he's, that I don't like what's happening with the Yankee fans right now. I'll tell you that much. I don't look, I don't like the hop in their step from this winning streak. The, the fit they're they're sense that they've turned the tables on the Red Sox, even though we've won four times as many World Series as them. I don't like any of it. I just I just remind people because you have young kids that anyone under the age of twelve only knows the Yankees as losers. That's very fair. This I would say fact. sixteen because when know, they won in two thousand nine, they're like four. They didn't remember. So exactly. there are people with driver's licenses who don't remember that the Yankees ever won anything. I was, I'm never, I never was, I, I, it, it hurt me so badly uh, to lose to the Yankees all those years that I never trash talked. I never tried it. But if somebody, you know, says something, I just, you know, it's, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, we won four times as many world series in the last two decades. It's like, I want the rivalry to come back. I think, oh, no. no, do you really no, want it back? No, I really, I miss the animosity. Um, <laughs> But I think I, we won the four titles. It's just not life or death the same way that it so was. So you want you want that wild card game be, to be between you. You want the no, Yankees not this year. I think. Well, I'm always hoping we make the playoffs. Chris Sale but versus uh, Cole, right? I think there's a couple relievers we need to put on an HGH cycle pretty soon. <laughs> What's, what is it like a six week cycle? <laughs> if we start it September seventh, maybe maybe it'll peak at the right time. <laughs> Can Robles start taking HGH I don't right know. now? Who's the Calvin Chiraldi who's going to come up? Oh like my god! In, in a week, and we're just like, wait a minute, where has this guy been? Oh my god! Uh, I don't that, think I could. I don't think I could live through that wild card game. I'm rooting for the. A's to overtake the Yankees. It's Red Sox, Yankee, uh, Red Sox, A's. Red Sox, A's would be great. We own the A's. We've been beating the A's my whole life. Uh, Michael Malley, check out Heels on Stars. You can catch up. It's three hours and you could be ready for episode four this weekend. It was good to see you. Thanks for coming on. Bill, thank you so much. I appreciate you. All right. Thanks to Matthew Berry, Craig Horlbeck, Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz, and Mike O'Malley. We're going to be back on Thursday with one more podcast. I'm very excited about Thursday. A guest who is very famous, who has never been on this podcast. He's coming on on Thursday. I will see you then. This podcast was produced by... 
Kyle Creighton.